my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and trashy movies brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan and welcome to episode 36 where we'll be discussing the film genre of folk horror and the film Never Too Young to Die from 1986. But first we're going to kick off with a song. This is by Snuff and uh, it is from an album which... (laughs) You bastards. ...is called... (laughs) Crepuscolo, Dorato, Della, Bruschetta, Borsetta, Calzetta, Cachetta, Trombetta, Lambretta, Giallo, Ossido, Ooh, Cosi Magnifico. Hey! Oh, uh, but the song is thankfully called Looks Alright From Here. Thursday. Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world. 
dead woman bangs on coffin to say she's alive during her own funeral. Oh. <laughs> dead in inverted commas, because she's not dead. Well, there's because a, she's banging on her coffin. There's no, she's a video. Not dead. <laughs> there's a video to go with this, so, <laughs> and it does say warning: you might find this distressing. Um, but it is pretty horrendous. Just kind of hold one. Just stop before you go any further. Yeah. Was somebody videoing this woman's funeral? I don't so. think that that's normal. Is that normal? Maybe. Maybe some people do. I don't know. Hang Is on it... a second. I used to work on the funerals. I should know this. I don't think that you video a funeral. It's not a fucking wedding or a birthday Well, party. nowadays, for people who can't go, uh, sometimes there's videos that are going true. on. Oh, COVID. Yeah, yeah. so maybe. Right, fair a funeral in Peru. Anywoo. Anywoo. <laughs> a funeral in Peru was dramatically interrupted after knocking was heard from within the coffin. The family of Rosa Isabella Cespedes Calaca, pretty sure I said that right. Um, That's the new snuff album. Yeah. <laughs> they gathered uh, to pay their final respects. She'd been involved in a serious crash Ooh. on a horrible road. This is quite a sad story, actually, but just the very thought that someone was in a coffin and got out is mad. Um, the accident claimed the life of her brother um, and other people in the car were very injured. She was pronounced dead at the crash, so loaded into the coffin ahead of her funeral. But when they, when her relatives got the coffin up onto their shoulders, they could hear strange sounds. <laughs> they lowered the coffin and opened the lid to find a weak, but a very much alive Rosa just staring at them, asking what was going on. <laughs> um, she opened her eyes and was sweating. I went to my office and immediately called the police. She was she was found to be alive. I presume she's now dead. Unfortunately, she did die about four hours later. But at the time of what which she was taken... What a way to go, though, eh? But she was at her funeral, alive, and so there's <laughs> loads of, like, uproar as to why the hospital pronounced her dead in the first place. Well, but if there's more to it than that. I mean, I don't, won't go too behind the curtain, yeah. literally. But there's quite a lot of different processes that... I mean, maybe in Peru it's different, but certainly in this country... The, like, it is not possible for that to happen. Yeah. Partly because you spend an awful lot of... There's a lot of other things that happen between... A lot of dragging point that body around. And well, no, not just that, but like... Well, yeah, there's no need to go into it, I suppose. Yeah. But there's lots of different things that happen, and you're in a fridge for a long time. And, <laughs> like, funerals don't happen the day that you die, or two days after you die. Well, it's, I don't know how quickly after the death the funeral happened. It's not really, it's not really said... But they reckon that she might have been in a coma, uh, which is why she was pronounced dead the first time round. <laughs> I suppose my point being that if you were in this country, if you were a dead body that wasn't actually dead, you'd be dead before you went in the ground because <laughs> you were in a big fridge for a really long time and you're embalmed and you know, like you'd definitely be but dead by the time you imagine, get to the. Imagine, <laughs> imagine being at that funeral. You're mourning your dead relative. <laughs> And then your dead relative knocks on the door of the coffin going, oi, let me out, I'm not dead. And then she does, like, like the, the grief you must get. Oh, my God. It's just insane. But, yeah, I haven't brought myself to watch the video, but I think we should and maybe put it on the YouTube channel. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> because do. the fact that it exists, it's fucking bonkers. If you want to see somebody literally getting out of their own coffin... <laughs> Almost alive, but not for much longer. Oh, gosh. Then check out our YouTube playlist. Yeah, there you go. I knew we didn't. This is why we don't have subscribers. There's not enough of this. But (laughs) now I think this is going to be the story to rectify it all. Well, a woman from Sidcup has married her pet cat in a bid to stop future landlords from separating. Yes! 
Good on Sid Cup, lady. Good on Sid Cup, indeed. <laughs> Deborah Hodge, 49, claims that she has previously been forced to rehome three animals by landlords because they did not allow pets in their properties. Oh, yeah. And now she's facing eviction... And she's terrified of losing her five-year-old cat, India, who, by the way, very handsome. Gorgeous. Very gorgeous. Very nice. You'd marry that cat. Oh, in a second, I'd marry any cat. (laughs) But she's a single mother of two who hopes that her commitment will show future landlords just how important it is for her that her and her cat stay together. Aww. I would suggest you didn't necessarily need to marry the cat. I mean, you could just refuse to take a flat unless they allow a cat. Because more or less what she said is that she'd rather be homeless than lose her cat. But I thought the point was that she was scared of being homeless. Well, exactly. Which is why she married the cat. I think she's quite a confused woman. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain, so I married my cat. (laughs) I I recited vows under the universe that no man will ever tear myself and India apart. Bit presumptuous that all landlords are men. Don't want to point that out. Maybe she means men as in the, like... Human, I don't know, maybe she doesn't really... She doesn't mean that. Um, (laughs) She believes that her cat is truly a sensation. She's so friendly and amazing. She is fundamentally the most important thing in my life after my children. I feel like what you say is she's fundamentally the second most important thing in my life after my children. But anyway, she's confused. By marrying (laughs) India, I need any future landlords to know that we come as a package and we cannot be separated under any circumstances as she is as important to me as the children. I refuse to be parted with her. I'd rather live on the streets than be without her. Again, you can live on the streets without marrying a cat quite easily. Um, Unfortunately, Deborah's the reason she's done this is because she's recently lost her job, which is very sad. Yeah... Deborah lost her job as a life coach in March. <laughs> How do you lose your job as a life coach? I kind of feel like you is there an employer? Make it, no, you literally make it up. But you just say I I've, I'm not doing it anymore. But I suppose my I point feel like is to be a life coach. There isn't people employing life coaches. No, you just there? decide you start an Instagram yeah. account and call yourself. So a if life you coach. then decide you're not doing it, you haven't lost your job. I don't you? think it's impossible that she was employed by somebody. But I think the point is, is that a woman who marries a cat. For confused reasons. Yeah. Should really not be coaching anybody else on their life. Yeah, get your life sorted. Although she has married her cat and I bet she's all right now. Well, I don't know. No, Deborah says I'm on my last pennies. (laughs) Oh, no, that's horrible. I'm not laughing. That's awful. Oh, gosh. Deborah wore a tuxedo while India donned a bow tie, cape and gold lame for their civil ceremony, which was officiated by a legally ordained friend. The newlyweds celebrated with their wedding guests by having a picnic in the sunshine. Her kids think that she's a lunatic. (laughs) Her words, not mine. (laughs) Well, this person does not sound like a lunatic. I would go as far as this person is a bit of a genius. Mm. Let me explain why. Man invents the burrito bumper that collects all the dropped food and places it into a new burrito. This, I actually think, stroke a genius. You know those pelican bibs you used to get? Yes. Babies. It's 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 similar to that, I think. There's a picture of it. I mean, it is essentially just a big um, funnel, and you eat over the funnel. But below it, there is a little contraption that holds a new taco, and that anything that falls into the funnel, <laughs> it deposits into the taco. So once you've finished eating your burrito, you have this little leftover burrito at the bottom, and then you eat that. <laughs> I think a bubble and squeak. A little, no, more like the drip tray of like a pub. Um, oh yeah. Uh, uh, the, well, I think we've all we've all drunk the drip tray at some this point is, in our lives. This is the we? food equivalent of drinking the drip tray <laughs> or eating everything out of a pelican bib at the end of your dinner. But for some reason, this man's made a very necessary invention, and I think it's fucking brilliant. There is a video of him using it, and it does show exactly why it's needed in the world. You see, a very messy eater. 
Yeah, I mean, the burrito he's created at the bottom is very full. I think he's purposefully made yeah, it a mess there. Yeah, I think he might have. But... Does, can you use any food? I suppose you could make, like, a little curry burrito, well, or you could make a little... I don't know, what else is wet? A soup burrito? That would be disgusting. I mean, the other equivalent is you just have a plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then and a, knife a and fork. fork and just eat what's fit. I mean, yeah. we literally did that for lunch earlier. I made sandwiches <laughs> that had too much filling in it. So I gave us a fork and we just ate the filling you've, with the fork. You've given after. us a, a really good write up there, Sean. What you actually did was we. <laughs> we had some crisps which we scooped up all of the oh things. I used my fork oh, as well as crisps <laughs> sometimes I used a crisp in each hand so that I could sort of oh. get get all the food up on one well, crisp well sometimes I used the sandwich and I used this, uh, the crisp to buffer up against the sandwich to get all the scooping well there and you then go get that done. trade secrets so we used to run a cafe <laughs> well, I, I wish I'd made this fucking thing up. I think this is brilliant. When you first said about it, I thought that you meant that in a, for example, in a restaurant, yeah, there was like a whole series of funnels which went around the whole <gasps> collecting everybody else's food. Oh that no! Then that they dropped, and then that all of that food of all sorts of different meals made into... would all go into one burrito. I'm down that for that. Could be, be the most disgusting or the most delicious thing just sort of potluck isn't it it is a bit potluck but i kind of like the idea of that or what if you had funnels that delivered your burrito to you like in futurama they have all the funnels that deliver the mail well they just go straight into the mouth no well i wasn't thinking straight into the mouth i was more thinking straight into your like i don't know the side of your chair and then you just pick it out and you eat it well talking about funnels that deliver one thing to another thing oh i mean that makes me feel quite unwell (laughs) Woman rescued after falling in a toilet whilst trying to retrieve her phone at the top of Mount Walker in Washington State. So by toilet, what we mean is one of those things that's just got a massive sea of shit underneath it. (laughs) Oh my God. She was strongly encouraged to seek medical attention, but she did not want to and she just wanted to go home. Well, she was covered in poo. She must have been. Get ready. (laughs) A woman had to be rescued by firefighters after falling into a toilet whilst trying to fish her mobile phone out. The woman, who has not been named, thankfully, was at the top of Mount Walker in a national forest in Seattle, Washington. She had been using her phone when it suddenly fell into the vault toilet. A vault toilet is a non-flush toilet which is constructed with a vault or sealed container that is buried deep into the ground. Oh my God! She went underground? (laughs) The woman in her 40s managed to take the toilet seat off and use dog leads to try and get at the phone. When this didn't work, she used the leads to tie herself to the toilet and reached for it, but she fell in head first. (laughs) The fireman on scene said, they didn't work very well, and then she went. Oh, dear. Do you know what, though? I've seen this in real life. Have you seen somebody in there for 10 to 15 minutes? Maybe no, they were able to get straight out, but it was at like one of those long drop toilets at a music festival. Oh yeah, and someone dropped their phone in and went in after it, and I was just like, "You're a fucking idiot." I mean, I saw a few <laughs> of those toilets being turned toilet? over, and then people would climb out the door covered in all the stuff. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. I've seen someone um, have the long drop in it's fired at them as well. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant. It was the security at like one of the Reading or Leeds festivals, and there were some fucking arseholes shaking one of the. Uh, there was a long, like, a tower that a girl was stood at the top of, like, overseeing the campsites. And some hooligans were just shaking it. And she was at the top, like, screaming. And so some of the security came and got a pipe. I don't know how it worked. But they managed to, like, explode the long drop innards at these people to get them to leave her alone. <laughs> and it was absolutely amazing. Like a fireman's hose, but just full of but full absolute of shit. shit. It was brilliant. <laughs> 
Well, I would say to this woman, she should have probably just left her phone there. Is it really that important? No. Would you fish your phone out of one of those toilets? They're quite scary toilets, actually. We went camping not too long ago, and we had one of these, which I oh, think... Oh, the murder toilet! The murder toilet, <laughs> which... I, and I didn't really like going in there, let alone fucking no. trying to grab something out of the... If If it was within... An arm's reaching distance. <laughs> you would definitely be and this it, woman, it just Sean. And it had just fallen on the top of some very solid <laughs> poos. But you've seen inside these things, then there's maybe, nothing but solid But if, if it's just things. an absolute wet slush and it's longer than an arm's length away, if it goes under the surface, you don't get it. If you've got to a point where you have to tie a dog lead around Oh yeah, that doesn't happen. Right, okay. That's right. never happening. If it's like, like I say, if I can reach it without having to really bend down... Then a that toilet's full, <laughs> but um, then maybe. But if it even sinks underneath a bit, you just say no. And if it's miles away, no, you just get another phone. If my phone fell in that toilet, I'd be relieved. Give me a couple you... of days off. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love it. You're going to throw your phone down the toilet later, aren't you? <laughs> well, this person is quite a fan of technology, but maybe not anymore. Microwave tries to murder man after he gave it artificial intelligence. <laughs> A YouTuber found himself in a bizarre situation after customising his microwave with AI to mimic his childhood imaginary friend. His imaginary friend when he was younger was his microwave. Jesus Christ. Yeah, for some reason. And he befriended it and he named it Magnetotron. Oh, my Christ. Yep. I want to put, already, before I even know any more, I want to put this man straight in this long shoot of a toilet. This man deserves to be in the toilet. Without the um, dog leads. Uh, his name is Lucas Risotto, but that is his real name. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Is this some sort of fucking joke website? That you no, found? I really don't think it is. <laughs> Unlike mi- normal microwaves, Risotto's not-so-common kitchen appliance had an elaborate backstory. Magnetron had fought in World War One. What the fuck? Yeah, he's, he's an unwell man who's unfortunately quite clever and managed to figure out a way to give him AI and I'll tell you why you're describing it's... autism Siobhan. oh this man yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's not having a good time is he but he's got a YouTube channel and he's having fun with it um, so there is a new natural language update from OpenAI which is something to do with Elon Musk the, the wonderful cunt that's ruining the world um, and so he decided to apply this to this veteran microwave to bring it back to life and as far as bright ideas go this was not one of them he fitted the kitchen appliance with a microphone and a speaker and, a ga- and trained it to engage in conversations. The eerie thing was that, because his training data knew all the main interactions I'd had with him as a child, I mean, that's, a, that's literally a lie, <laughs> this kitchen appliance knew things about me that no one else in the world did. So soon their conversations took a darker turn and apparently microwaves don't cope well with the atrocities of war. What the fuck? I know! <laughs> Risotto said that Magnetron told him, I have seen men holding their guts with their own hands, crying out for their mothers. Um, another one of his musings was, for, for years this was my life, always surrounded by death, but it never claimed me. Um, it gets darker. Apparently the microwave started repeating the word revenge over and over <laughs> again. And then it started reciting a poem. No, Magnetron asked Risotto if it could recite a poem to him. And Risotto said, yeah, go ahead. Roses are red, violets are blue... You're a backstabbing bitch and I will kill you, the microwave said. (laughs) This is all fucking insane and so dumb. 
Megatron then asked Risotto to enter the microwave before turning itself on when it believed Risotto was inside. Naturally, Risotto asked his microwave why he tried to kill him. Also, his name's Risotto. <laughs> this is just bullshit. Because I wanted to hurt you the same way you hurt me. You left me out of the blue and did talk to me for 15 fucking years. <laughs> 15 years ago we were best friends we took care of each other we loved one another and then one day you just disappeared you grew up and forgot I existed for 15 years I had no one I was alone for 15 years I was in hell the microwave said it had waited in an empty void planning revenge so I could take your future just like you've taken mine (laughs) that apparently is what happened to Lucas Risotto when he gave his microwave AI Jesus fucking Christ I don't really know what to say about that um (laughs) I mean, I would say it didn't really try and kill him. I mean, no. I know some people are worried about AI taking over the world and stuff, but if the worst that they can do is say, come and get in the microwave, <laughs> I promise I won't turn on, then we're not really under any threat. Yeah, no, I don't think we I think we'll be okay, but... Um... I don't think that this boy should be in charge of any more AIs, though. He has got a YouTube channel for which he put this uh, information up. So, again, we have a YouTube channel. We will be putting it on our... <laughs> playlist for the for the episodes you can all make your own opinions of lucas risotto but I'll tell you what, episode, i haven't seen it? it but i already know he's a bit of a wanker <laughs> <laughs> he's not all right this is how you get famous on the internet now you pretend to give your microwave ai we Do don't even pretend i think famous. he actually might have there's a lot of people like this. Do you remember when we did Real Life Superheroes? Yeah. I feel like he's probably a similar sort of character to some of them. Yeah. And a lot of them, they lived their life on YouTube, making yeah. videos of how they were superheroes and all of this sort of stuff. But when we did that episode and I went on a bit of a deep dive and looked into them all, most of them had, like, less fucking views than we've got. Oh, Jesus. You know? Poor buggers. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't like their their videos were really being seen that much. There was people writing books about them because they were so mad. Yeah. Or writing news stories about them because they were so mad. But actually, in reality, we just presume that, therefore, millions of people are, like, Following watching them. their yeah. YouTube. If, if I say I'm a YouTuber, which, by the way... You are. Not really, but... And, all right, well, I won't say what I was going to say. I was oh. going to say, if you consider yourself a YouTuber, then... You need to, you know, turn your mainframe off. Okay? <laughs> oh, if that's what you do as a, if that's what you do as a, as a lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, you don't. You're not. You, you don't do that. Then I you're think fine. that's a, that's a problem for you. Yeah. But that's how people are famous now. Like it's horrible. When we did our time cup episode about um, more of one of the recent years, I think it was like 2004. All of the people that were born that year, when you look them up on Wikipedia, because they'd be what, like 18 now. Yeah. And some of their professions were like Instagrammer. Well, not some, all of everybody yeah. famous. I mean, in fairness, all, I think they were younger than that. I think it worked out they were about 16. So it does sort of make sense. There was a couple of like actors and actresses. And stuff. Yeah. But fundamentally, they were all Instagrammers, Instagrammers YouTubers, YouTube. or influencers. TikTokers. But we just sound old saying that. Well, those, they, well, yeah, it's all awful. It's all <laughs> now awful. they're all signed to Hopeless Records and making songs <laughs> about their therapists. Oh my God! <laughs> was that your impression? Oh, yeah, I can't remember any words. <laughs> well, from that thoroughly depressing story, Siobhan, yeah. I think I might have the paragraph oh. that has made me feel sicker about oh. the modern world than any other before. Oh, God. A quick Google search for baby name anxiety will tell you that new parents are offering for a motherload of stress when it comes time to name their bundle of joy. In an age where personal branding is everything, parents are doing whatever it takes to ensure their child is named for success, even if that means paying someone else good money to do the job for them. 
Enter Taylor Humphrey, a 33-year-old New York-based professional baby namer (laughs) who will pick the perfect name for your latest little one for the low fee of $1,500 a pop. And that's for starters. Goes up to 10 grand. What the fuck? In the last year alone, Humphrey helped name over 100 children. That means she's (gasps) fucking rich. Oh my fucking (laughs) life. As easy as it would be to use a baby name generator and just cash in, which is clearly what this woman's doing, Humphrey puts a lot of thought and effort into choosing the right name for an individual child. She does with a pro- she sat around doing fuck all <laughs> the money. The process begins with a questionnaire and a genealogical investigation, and it extends to sourcing inspiration from films, literature, street signs, and current <laughs> trends. For ten grand, she'll even deep dive to find a name that complements the parents' business branding. <gasps> I mean that. Oh, that's that's named who the who buys this fucking thing? Business branding. While it's easy to say that I name people's babies for a living, my work is so much deeper and more oh, nuanced fuck than off. that. My job is to hold space and provide spiritual, emotional and physical support for my clients as they progress through the major life transition of becoming a parent. Oh my God, I'm actually shaking with illness. <laughs> that was, this is fucking disgusting. She's been obsessed with baby names since she was a child herself, because of course she is, she's a dull motherfucker. She loves christening strangers' children. No children of her own, I reckon. Is she barren? <laughs> I'm not being rude, but is she barren? <laughs> that is the darkest thing you've ever said. Yeah, probably. Sorry. Probably. <laughs> She's worked Sorry, not to be offensive to everyone who can't have children out there, but this woman obviously can't have children. Anyway, sorry, I'm being rude. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, she's uh, jumped around from job to job, ranging from digital <laughs> marketing. She, <laughs> she just married, married her cats, cat. Yeah. <laughs> her Instagram videos. Oh, God. Take a deep breath. I'm going to be sick. They've since been viewed over 1.7 million times, and she's expanded to TikTok, where she offers quick, less personalised name options for free, often for people looking for names to complement those of their other children. The example is a sister's name for Liam Reese and Quinn. Oh, oh Jesus my. Christ. She's been shut down a few times in the past because she tried to name someone Stellion and it sounds a bit too much like Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This woman is literally the worst cunt in the entire world. She is one of the worst cunts. <laughs> I this mean... is worse than, she's worse than people that have done monstru- monstrous <laughs> things, in my opinion. She's pretty horrendous. She's her... This is a culture in ruins. <laughs> this is a cu- Do you know what? This is a culture in ruins. That's one end of the spectrum for why this culture is in ruins. But let's let's just go the other end. Jim Carrey responds to utterly bizarre theory that he is playing Joe Biden. <laughs> and this is honestly the tip of a fucking dirty iceberg. Oh, what? That's been You're suggesting by... the conspiracy theory yep. gets deeper, do Oh, you? my God. <laughs> Donald Trump has a lot to answer for because he, again, is one of the people that's begun this. Yes, there are people out there who think the US president is actually a bunch of actors wearing masks and theory might be that he's dead. Sorry, a bunch. I like the fact that it's a bunch of actors, but one of them just happens to be Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey's got bigger fish to fry, isn't so, it? Well, Jim it's Carrey's either the only all famous one people, or it's no famous well, it, people. Well, it, it, it depends who you speak to as to who it is. Of course, but it could be anyone. <laughs> but in a recent video shared on Twitter, one Donald Trump supporter, because that had to be mentioned, it's the first mention of Donald Trump <laughs> on this. But just so you know, she supports Donald Trump. Shared a belief that the U.S. president is in fact dead, and multiple actors have been standing in for him. 
This is a conspiracy theory that I think they've had about possibly every president for a very long time, and not just not just American presidents, also just random people like the North Korea dude and loads of people yeah, yeah, are dead yeah. and being played by actors. It's a really weird thing to think, isn't it? But yeah, you're right, it's common. I mean, it's not that weird if you put it in the context of people being mad about conspiracies. Oh, Christ, yeah. <laughs> I just love that this woman's managed to have an interview. So there's a man called uh, Jason Selvig who spoke to her. I don't know who he is. He must be a news reporter of some point. He's a be an Alex Jones one, I reckon. Well, I don't know that he is, actually. He's a comedian that interviews conservative Americans about political matters. Oh, so okay. he's, he's I think he's taking the case. <laughs> right, okay. So he talks to her and she says, the guy that's doing the stand-up job of trying to wake people up is an actor wearing a mask. I mean, there are several different people playing Joe Biden at this point. Referring to the moment when Biden fell up the stairs of Air Force One in 2001, apparently he fell over. I myself think that was Jim Carrey. <laughs> well, because he did a comedy fall. She explains she believes this because he was being silly by falling up the stairs three times. She <laughs> goes, does she think that if Jim Carrey was employed to play the president, he would have to do it in a Jim Carrey way? That's what she's saying. <laughs> uh, she goes, she, oh, and also James Woods is also one of the doppelganger <laughs> mask wearing people, she's added. But James Woods and Jim Carrey are different heights and completely look different. Well... Even with a mask on, you could tell they were different. He's a very good actor. There's methods of doing this. So in response to this, Jim Carrey just re-shared the video and just went, oh dear, as if, oh gosh, what is the world coming to? And the comedy duo, they're called The Good Liars, who this man's from, um, responded and said, be honest, was the woman we interviewed in this clip just you in a mask? (laughs) (laughs) Also, is she jumping to bizarre conclusions because he was in the film The Mask? Like, I literally just think this woman's done the most clever... Well, well, it won't be her, though, and it won't just be her. It'll be people talking on the internet. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's that someone said, oh, Jim Carrey's in The Mask, and that in itself is a flag, some sort of flag exercise, which is telling you that he wears a mask in other things and probably that the mask itself is a metaphor for some sort of um, liberal plot to yeah. take over America or something. And shit. how many presidents has he been impersonating over the years? We'll never know now because he's going to shut up about it because he's been, he's been found out. You see, once you're found out, you do shut up about things. Yeah. yeah. So this is upsetting for this woman because now she's being made famous and everyone's going to know her thoughts. Again, I doubt she's probably getting that famous from that. <laughs> um, I... There's a video of this as well, so this video, if we can, <laughs> oh, we'll be going God. on the YouTube channel. It's a fucking disaster of an episode this week <laughs> for, the, for the human race. <laughs> I wonder, do you think that she might believe in the QAnon conspiracy? Do you reckon? I'm just wondering. Do you think she might think that the Twin Towers was an inside job? She's probably got opinions on that. Just, I mean, scraping at it here. Do you think that she thinks JFK was killed by the CIA? Oh, well, in fairness. He was. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Let's not go down our own conspiracy theory holes. It's not a conspiracy theory if it's true, though, is it? What? What? (laughs) Do you think... That she believes that the government are funding research into wormholes, anti-gravity and invisibility cloaks? She definitely does. Well, she should because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) In 2017, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Programme, which is funded by the Defence Intelligence Agency in America, uh, was started. And a lot of its paperwork has very recently all been released. Okay. 
to say some of the things that they've been working on, mm-hmm. on the government's dime. The nearly 1,600 pages of documents released are a mix of scientific research, contracts, presentations, briefings and memos related to the programme. They include proof of work on such things as invisibility cloaking, traversable wormholes, mm. stargates, which is definitely a movie. Oh my god! Negative energy, anti gravity, high frequency gravitational wave communications, and a never carried out proposal to tunnel a hole through the moon using nuclear <laughs> explosions. Because, one document says, gravity is the bane of aerospace transportation. Oh my god. What, so if you put a hole through the moon, then it'll all get yeah, easier? Yeah, rid of gravity, then we can fly sp- through space easier. That sounds sensible. I think Elon Musk will be up for that, to be I was honest. I say, I wonder if these people ever had family that thought the world was flat. <laughs> Fuck my life. Well, none of these technologies ever seem to have gotten remotely close to being a reality, but the documents do prove that the American government were working on some fucking insane shit. I am absolutely 100% not surprised by that, actually. Um, <laughs> because didn't didn't they license all that fucking staring at goats shit? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is, so there's a, this there's is a, the American we, government down. Yeah, we've mentioned this a few times before. Um, John Ronson made a couple of programmes called The Crazy Rulers of the World, which is a follow-on from The Secret Rulers of the World, yeah. which we covered on this podcast. And The Crazy Rulers of the World is... Includes was it MK Ultra? stuff from well, MK Ultra is part of it. Oh yeah, that's the sixties. Oh, we've talked about all of this stuff before. Yeah, I know. But, um, oh, fuck it, bring it up. Again. <laughs> yes, it was the Men That Stare at Goats, which is a famous book and, that he wrote. And, yeah, he wrote and uh, and obviously a film that's been made, which yeah. is all based on fact of a secret government agent that was trying to make people kill goats by looking at them. Yep, and, given uh, funding to do so as well, and given yeah. lots of funding to do so. So they're just still at it, really. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised. The world's fucking crumbling. And if they were doing it then, they're definitely doing it now. Yeah. I am starting to sound like I could be on a Joe Rogan podcast. So I'm going <laughs> to slow down my conspiracy brain right this second. Uh, the man behind a lot of this is called Robert Bigelow. And um, he uh, lobbied uh, for the creation of this programme, the AATIP programme. He apparently owned the Skinwalker Ranch, which is a hotbed for UFO sightings, uh, which is quite famous, and a hotbed for paranormal activity as well. Um, Hand in hand. He uh, is also known for having a keen interest in life after death. So he's a lunatic and he's been given $10 million uh, just to (gasps) fuck about with in order to do all of these crazy things. Fucking fuck. <laughs> right on the government. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll tell you where it doesn't have $10 million to fart about with. But there's loads of UFO signs. What? No, fuck. Drink driver has caught after sticking finger up to police at a crash. Uh, might not be quite so obvious what's happened here, but let me explain it. He wasn't suspected of being drunk driving. He was just driving past a crash that had happened in Horsford on May 9th. Was Horsford like nice? Horsford? Nah, you wouldn't go there, would you? (laughs) I don't know. Nah. uh, I think they've got a famous Christmas show. Is that Horsford? I don't really know. It might be North Norfolk somewhere. We don't go there. Um, So, basically, a road closure had happened whilst police were dealing with a, a different serious crash. And despite this road closure being in place, the driver ignored the signs drove past the police officers and gave them a middle finger, kind of as if to say, fuck you, don't know why. Right. And they went, well, that's not Probably on. because he was pissed. There you go. <laughs> but he would have got away. If he'd have just fucking driven the other way, no one would have been none the wiser. But in the fairness, drink drivers need to be caught and told off. There you go. So they pulled him over. They said, oh, you, you 
stop putting your finger up at us. Are you a bit drunk? No. And so he did the blow into the breath and he was twice over... <laughs> the blow into the breath? I don't know what it's called. He was twice over the limit. So there's a lesson here. Don't stick your finger up if you're pissed and everyone will leave you alone. <laughs> um, I feel like that's going to be short and sweet. Uh, that is almost <laughs> is that it, it, pretty much. Yeah, they just said when he stuck his finger up at us, the road didn't magically clear for him. And when he stopped, he provided a breath test of 72... Whatever the units are, I'm going to call them Uggs, but they ain't called Uggs, really, are they? But I, I think you should are. probably know as a nurse, really, shouldn't you? Oh, I don't you? fucking know. 72. <laughs> it should be 35 at 72. There you go. Um, he will be charged to court. It is unbelievable, say the police, who have been sworn out by drunk men. Uh, that's literally the rest of this story, but I just thought it was quite wonderful. That's a little, little bit of weird justice there. I wonder if he's upset about it now or whether he's proud of himself. I wonder if he's got like a real beef with the police and he thought, I'm really going well, to get one over these yeah. wankers by sticking my finger. I mean, I'm, sticking I'm gonna your finger up at people is pretty old time. school. Yeah. I don't think anyone's that upset by getting fingers stuck up at them. Police are. They couldn't fucking hack it. I mean, no, who comes <laughs> off worse here? I don't know. Everyone's shit and everyone's been, been told off. He, the police were told off by this man who felt just, for whatever reason, that he was allowed to do that. Again, maybe he's had previous beef. Seems like someone who might have had previous beef with the police. I think he's got I'm a bit of beef, I'm assuming a lot here. Yeah. I'm assuming a well, lot It doesn't sound like the story's given you much to work with. No. Well, this is typical of the Norfolk News, unfortunately. <laughs> Here's something really rubbish that's happened, and we don't really know anything about it. Have a go. Usually, it's, don't worry, we're carting the mobile home down the A47 on Wednesday, and, it's in the, and it goes in the news. Don't you think it's the most pointless job? We did a long drive the other day. Yeah. And we were driving along and there was one of them, exactly that, like one of those things where people are driving a home. The big mobile big homes. mobile homes. Yeah. Like the massive ones. Yeah, I think are actually, they're ones. not even mobile homes, they're actually going to be homes one day. Oh, you mean those like static, static homes? And there's someone driving behind. Oh, yeah, and in front. And in front, telling you to be careful about the massive (laughs) fuck-off thing that you could not not see. And if you're going to not see that, you're definitely not going to see the pissy little car (laughs) with a little bit of high-vis on it saying, Warning. Warning? The car in front of me's fucking hooch. It's hooch. It's got a house in it. (laughs) The one behind me's hooch. The one in front's hooch. What a fucking waste of a life. Talk about bullshit jobs. Two people are just driving cars along for no reason there. That's fucking true, isn't it? That's fucking true. Maybe they've got the lunch of the man who's driving. (laughs) But he's got a big fuck off lorry. He can put his own lunch in there. He's got mostly house in it. If anything, he's carrying the lunch for the two pricks in the little cars. (laughs) It is a fucking pointless job, isn't it? I feel like this uh, episode's news throughout, right up into Norfolk news, has Humanity. been. It's been kind of a. It's been kind. Of, we've been a bit down on people. Well, in fairness, we'll find the some nice have, happy ones. The people have shown themselves up this last two weeks. Well, they have, so. but we could have picked a load of different stories where people are like, you know, being kind to dogs. Uh, one man made a burrito. <laughs> That's a good point. And another woman married a cat. <laughs> yeah. So, in fairness, both of them do seem like just. Massive lunatics, though, don't they? <laughs> oh, well. Should we play some music that's yes. happy? Yes. Uh, although, actually, the name of this song is so appropriate. So appropriate to everything okay. we just talked about. This oh, was not excited. deliberate. This is by an Australian band called Dr. Shaw's Unusual Practice. They're fucking that's brilliant. A beautiful name. Totally check them out. It's from their album Remember the Future album. <sighs> and they've got loads of stuff up on Bandcamp, and you should definitely check them out. But this song is called How Can Anybody Be Sober These Days? Yeah! <laughs> 
Welcome back. We're now going to move on to our main topic for this episode, which is folk horror. Part of the reason that we're doing that is that it's a subject that we neither of us really knew that much about. Mm. And, I mean, um, on, on reading about it and learning about it, I knew nothing about it. Oh, there it you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I sort of knew a little bit about it, or at least vaguely, but I didn't really know many details. And we thought it was appropriate because uh, we just had May Day here in Hastings. Well, you've all, everyone's just had May Day. But, but it's in, a bit different in Hastings. In Hastings, we have a big Jack in the Green parade and celebration thing. Mm. Um, it's something that we've always wanted to go to and never been able to because up until now we were either running a cafe so we were in it we were slap bang in the middle of it yeah but we'd never got to actually see any of it because we were working or obviously covid stopped it for a couple of years so this is the first opportunity that we actually had to go and see it it's a celebration of sort of I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but it's more or less a celebration of weird pagan shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the entire town seems to just come out and watch this insane, oldie-worldy, kind of cosplay, but kind of yeah. genuine version of a Jack in the Green festival. Yeah. Where they walk through the town, everyone gets pissed in the morning. Um, it's made all the more interesting by the fact that something like 20,000 bikers also oh, happen. Yeah. <laughs> just come down to Hastings on that same day for completely unrelated so the town's absolutely a buzz with kind of activity and yeah so we got to go and see our first Jack in the Green it was amazing what I can remember of it oh yeah you were very pissed but you loved it it was wonderful it was wonderful (laughs) and so we thought folk horror sort of fitted into that in some vague way and that was our segue into covering it on this podcast Definitely. So, like, the, the the background of Jack and the Green, loosely, it's a, a pagan ritual, and it's the slaying of Jack, who is this leafy deity. I don't know if you call him a creature or, or god or whatever he is. But the villagers or the people of the local area slay this creature, and if he's successfully slain, then there'll be a good summer, and mm. therefore a good harvest. Um, and so that kind of leads us on to the, where folk horror comes in. So folk horror is a subgenre of horror film that is usually based around the folklore of a local area. It's namely, well, predominantly an English thing, or at least the traditional version of folk horror is. And it's based on things like superstitions, rituals, um, and generally anything that the local folk would be worried about and how that kind of features into creating threat and fear for the audience. I don't know whether the folk element of this is... It also has ties, I think, to some extent to like folk music. Mm. And it definitely, when most of the majority of the big folk horror films were made, it was kind of a folksy time, for want yeah. of a better description. We're talking sort of late 60s, early 70s, and it was very much like people going back to the land and generally kind of an appreciation of the old ways. Yeah. A little bit within popular culture, I think. Yeah, um, And so I think the use of the word folk is kind of twofold in a way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the genre is covered by a couple of different, uh, very different documentaries. There is a brand new one, or relatively new one, called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Sounds beautiful. Which is probably the most folksy horror yeah. uh, um, <laughs> collection of words you might ever hear. And that is a really big, like, three and a half hour long documentary, which kind of tries to get hold of exactly what folk horror is. And it does a really good job of, of covering that, which we will now try to sort of do ourselves. Yeah. But also, quite a long time prior to that, I think in 2007, Mark Gattis from the League of Gentlemen made a series where he talked about horror. 
and it's a three-part series that was just on BBC or BBC4 or something, mm. called The History of Horror. And on the second episode of that, he does an episode called Home Counties Horror, which is largely about things like Hammer and Atticus and like the more sort of 50s and 60s, mm. real early horror movies. But uh, there is a short period in it where they talk about folk horror. Yeah. And generally speaking, that is where the term comes from. Which yeah. I was quite surprised to find, because on the other documentary that we watched, there's a guy who comes across as a bit of a prick anyway, so yeah. like, I wanted to not believe him. But where he says, oh, I came up with the phrase folk horror in 2007, and I thought, there's no way. This has been around for years and years and years. This yeah. a lunatic. But it turns out that that is generally considered, although it was used prior. Yeah. Um, and the guy that made The Blood on Satan's Claw, which is one of the main films, yeah. uh, has described it... As a, as a folk horror film. Yeah. But generally speaking, I think it's accepted that the, the some random BBC programme yeah. presented by Mark Gattis, which is quite good, but it's not that good, um, it, it, is yeah. the one that made this term, which I thought was just kind of like a film genre that's yeah. always been famous. Like when these films were made, surely they knew that that's what it was. But I guess they didn't really think that they were any different to... Well... The, the people who made them definitely thought that they were being different. Well, let's seems, get into those main yeah. films. So there's there's three main films. And in some respects, you, they, you could make an argument to say that folk horror is three films. In its truest, in its truest British... Original form. Original sense. And I would say, I don't know when they were collected together, but Mark Gatiss kind of... That's what he yeah. says. He, the, the holy or the unholy trinity of films that are folk horror... Um, and, and, and I think it's been described by other people as well. And I think we should probably say that there has been a real resurgence of this in recent years, yeah. uh, which is another reason to cover it uh, now, I think, because yeah. there's a lot of new films that are being made that which are very influenced by these three films. Yeah. So The Unholy Trinity are Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claw and The Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, I had seen two of these before, and as it turns out, Siobhan had seen none of these before. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what did you think, first of all, of um, the first one that was made? Yeah. 1968, Witchfinder yep. General. I thought that it was pretty fucking horrible. And I say this in a surprising way, because I've never really watched a lot of these old British horror films. And Hammer Horror, the ones that we have watched, some of them have been really good, and some of them are a bit campy, and here's some tits, here's some men ravaging women um and it doesn't really become horror in a very interesting way um but this was fucking horrible and i think it was because it was so i mean this is probably why folk horror is really good it was menacing as hell based on some this one was based on a true story of the witch hunts in east angola that happened during the english civil war and witchfinder general was a real man Mm -hmm. who went round deciding that people are witches based on absolutely no fact whatsoever. Someone just had to say, she's a bit of a witch, and he would create some weird test to prove that they were a witch or not, which everyone's heard of. This is what I heard of as a kid. Yeah. Like, the, we'll dunk you in water, and if you float, then you're a witch, and if you sink, then you're not a witch, but you are then dead. Yeah. So basically, basically whatever happens, if you're decided that you're a witch, you're going to die. And it's just a film showing... Some pretty gruesome ways in which witches were killed yeah. during this time. Uh, y- yeah. And I think that freaked me out because I was like, this fucking happened. And it's just horrible. <laughs> it's, it's hard because I think there's a lot of old horror films that are set in that kind of era. 
Mm. And I um, and I don't often. I never watch films that are like set historically. To be yeah. honest, like really don't. Uh, probably because I watch trashy eighty movies where you know there's lasers and things. Well, and um, also you like it to be set in the history of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so it was kind. Of, it's kind of an uncomfortable watch immediately. I remember watching this when I was younger and not really having a great deal of idea of what to expect. And I couldn't work out why it affected me so much because mm. it is kind of like it's well made film. Don't get me wrong; it's a good film. Definitely. It's still made in the late 60s. Yeah. Vincent Price is still Vincent Price. Oh, but... Uh, he's, who's wonderful, but, he, but he's not, thing. like, scary, you know. Oh, I thought he was fucking menacing. Was, yeah, okay. Well, cause I think I've seen him too much trash, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I suppose the point that I'm making is that there was a certain ap- atmosphere about this film which just made me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't really know why that was, and I didn't probably think about it very much. But watching it this time... And having read a little bit about it, a lot of, one word that is used almost all the time to describe this film is nihilistic. And I think that mm. that is so true. And it has a real hatred, in a way, I think, yeah. of humanity. Yeah. So in that case, all of the news stories that we presented earlier yeah. were getting you prepared for this folk horror segment. <laughs> um, but it also, there is something, and it's not really even that subtle, but I definitely didn't notice it on first watch. But the thing that I really took away from watching it this time is that all of these horrible things are continuously happening and yeah. the world is like this really miserable place because, of course, it was, you know. Yeah. People's life expectancies were very short. You know, lots of horrible things were happening and everyone was living in filth. Yeah. But, and then within that walks in this man who is a famous psychopath from history that just wanted to kill women, basically. Yeah. And they, they sort of show all of this in a very kind of late 60s horror movie kind of a way. Mm. But where it differs from a lot of other films is that everybody in it is a fucking scumbag. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the main characters. I'm talking about everybody. Like Every time something horrible happens to another person, there's like braying, cheering, cheering. crowds. With yeah. like, they must have been told to do this. Everyone's got this like really hungry, angry, hateful look in their eyes. Yeah. It must be like going to a... English Defence League rally, you know, or read it, or, or going to a Daily Mail readers' convention. Yeah, like, it really talks about society, which, and this is why I think it's interesting that all these folk horror films are coming back. Yeah, uh, in this day and age, although they're obviously very different to this one, but there is something about it that really speaks of this kind of like hateful version of humanity where everybody yeah. just wants to not only wants to see people get hurt yeah but wants to really enjoy it you know it's like it's like celebrity culture and, yeah, and trashy hugely. culture you know it's well and another th- another thing that kind of links to that is and i think you, you were slightly touching on it is the community is downtrodden poor and absolutely vulnerable Mm. and then this rich man who is an employed sheriff like he's an employed member of the police the constabulary or the government at this point um comes in and just tells these poor people tell me who you don't like or tell me who's a witch and he does it for them so he's he's harming their community on their whims and they're loving it but he doesn't give a shit about any of them and in fact he's nothing like them and that could be said for our government at the minute and of course or when, the yeah. America what's going on yeah. or any of our fucking dystopian what, Jim Carrey playing the movie <laughs> Yeah, Jim Carrey's fucking us right up. No, but, you know what I mean? And all these authoritarian governments that we have in the world right now. Like, it's fucked up. But there's Um, an interesting other thing about that is that when he leaves... Yeah. So he comes in as the man... They say, oh, we think this person's a witch or whatever. He yeah. completely decimates a community and then he just fucks off. Oh, gosh, he goes And then they just got to live with it. And they're the ones who feel the guilt because 
Because he's a psychopath. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't have any feelings. He doesn't just wants to kill as many people as he can, have sex with as many people as he can, and that's and just have... But then also they think that he's done them a favour because they had a witch in the community. Mm. So it's either they think, oh shit, that wasn't true, or, oh, thank God that really amazing man came and got rid of all of our witches for us. But they're left with all the guilt, is what I mean. They've still... Even if they don't realise it, even if they think, oh, we've got rid of a, a witch, yeah. there's still that element... There's still all of that guilt that you're yeah. left with. You know? People yeah, that yeah, voted yeah. for Brexit might be still sort of be saying they're happy for Brexit, but they've got a bit of guilt going on in the back of their minds because they're Somewhere. questioning it now. Some of them aren't. Yeah. A lot of people are. A lot of people, they may not say, oh, I feel really guilty about that yeah. because that's not how human beings work. Well, but their lives are going to have been negatively affected by the fact that they'll always look at themselves true. and say, oh, shit, did I fuck up there? Well, even like the next day, everyone was like, oh, shit, I didn't think it would happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And anyway. anyway. And there we are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can see how this episode is going to go. Yeah. We've got a long list of things to get through. So that we move on to the next one, which uh, I had never seen before. Nope. Which is called heard of. Blood on Satan's Claw from 1971. It's directed by this guy called Piers Haggard, who I'd never heard of, but he was a director nope. of the time. He did a lot of horror movies and stuff. And like we said earlier, he's the one that originally described this film as a folk horror. Yeah. I think this <clears> one is the most typically, and I say typically, knowing the Wicker Man's coming, so it's not really the same, but very folksy, very countryside And this, the director, Piers Haggard, made a point of saying this is about the countryside and how eerie it can be and you don't know what's under the earth. And the whole point of this film is digging up of the earth, unveiling of like what can happen in a community unwatched sort yeah. of thing. You know, we've got all of these cities happening, but what's going on in the countryside? And it start, and he's really proud of the first scene, which is a man ploughing up a field, and you can just see the muck, and it's really grotty. Yeah. And then he digs up a, a skull with an eye in it and a worm, and it's like, that's how the film begins. Which, unfortunately, probably in the context of the modern eye, yeah. looks a bit Shit. crap. <laughs> But um, but actually, uh, see, it's funny. When I first saw it, because I, I, we hadn't watched this when we watched the documentary, and they showed that scene, and I thought, oh, God, yeah. that shit. But the more times I saw it, the more effective it got. Yeah. Um, I'll try and put that in the YouTube playlist. But, yeah. I mean, it's quite a famous uh, scene from that film. Yeah. And uh, there is something quite effective about It's just a weird head with an eyeball in yeah. it. And, and, like you say, a worm on it. And, you know, it's definitely sort of shoddily put together, but there's something quite effective about it. Well, and it's because the point like I get, I get it it's, you're going about your normal day he's waving at his wife and going hey yeah everything's cool <laughs> and then all of a sudden his, his world is turned upside down yeah. so then the discovering of this skull begins this curse and it's Satan's curse upon the local community namely kids it's all kids which is yeah. why it's fucking yeah. weird yeah. especially given the really adult weird culty things that then go on yeah. and that is why this one was the, the scariest of the three for me um, and they were all pretty affecting actually which I was surprised at again being old horror films I just didn't know if that was going to happen mm. but this one this uh, Satan's Curse comes over all these kids and they start a cult like a little weird cult where people are touched upon they have a devil's touch upon them they start growing skin and that skin is to be harvested kind so of... that the devil the devil can put a skin of child's skin on and take human form but it's kind of like hair it's weird yeah. there's something really unpleasant about that yeah that skin that grows is like just sort of a patch of weird hair, yeah, and it, which isn't which is an unlike you know in an unlikely place so yeah. it's on their thigh or something and it's like this thick 
Yeah. Almost like goat-like hair. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be goat hair. Yeah. And there's something really grotty about yeah. it. You know, there's something really like body horror-y about yeah, it. Yeah, where, it is. Where you sort of... It made me feel a bit uncomfortable because, again, it's not necessarily... It's not like the special effects are amazing. Yeah. But I suppose that's a fairly easy thing to do, to stick some hair on yeah. someone. But fundamentally, you know that they've just stuck some hair on someone. But... And maybe because it's kids as well. There's something oh about it being God. kids that I think... I don't know. It's really horrible. It really is. It's really grotty. It really is grotty. And it's because it, it's such a simple idea as well. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, it touches upon a devil's... Uh, the devil's curse, that's what it is, isn't it? The devil's touch is um, brought up in the Witchfinder General as well. It's looking yeah. upon your body and finding that you have a mark upon you that now means you've been cursed by the devil. Well, that's one of the, way that, the ways that they supposedly were able to tell if you were a witch or not. Yeah. Which is basically if you've got a birthmark or yeah. a mole. Yeah, exactly. And in this one, it's kind of... It's touching upon that because some people who have... You know, people have patches of weird hair Mm. where they might have moles or where they have birthmarks. And so it is a bit like touching upon things that people were a bit scared of already. So we look at it like that's grim and actually really effective the way that they've done it. But people at the time... This was a thing that people were getting scared of. People were getting into witchcraft and getting into the occult and getting into devil things... And so this is the kind of stuff that people were worried about. So like you say, then to see it on kids who are meant to be innocent and, you know, nothing has come of them yet. Particularly these sort of folksy, oldie-worldie, like, innocent children. Yeah. Playing in the fields. Yeah. You know, they're they're really... Before they get the curse, they're really innocent. And after they get the curse, they're really not innocent. Oh, my God. But they so very innocently go about their way. There Mm. is a ritual that happens towards the end of the film that is horribly affecting, mm. like, horribly. I won't say what happened, just in case anyone's watching it, but it is... I mean, the director looks back on it now and says, I went too far. At yeah. the time, I was totally seduced by doing that that scene. But now I look at it and I think, oh, my God, I wouldn't have done that again. Mm. But then he, well, then he says he probably would, because you get well into it. But, yeah. but it is a horrible, horrible scene that you just think, oh, my God. It's horrible, A, but B kids are doing it which just yeah. makes it so much and it's shot worse. in a really uncomfortable way where it doesn't nothing yeah. you don't see everything you don't see everything but you, but see, but you see you see all the you don't see and it's not like gratuitous yeah but you see again it's not too dissimilar from which find a general you see yeah. the looks on people's faces yeah. you see the the lack of care that anybody has and yeah. that sort of stuff like and you kind of think they're not going to show like i yeah. kind of know what's about to happen but we won't see it yeah. and then you're like oh shit no the, the cameras are all still rolling and we are going to see this to the end and it's really fucking weird because some children in the back are like getting off on this as well yeah, yeah. so it's just fucking weird but such a good scary horrible mm. film um, i think the other <laughs> the other thing that makes it really effective is it has and the thing i like most about it i think it has a real like dream like quality to it yeah. although it is told in a narrative fashion it's quite loose yeah like there's there, there was a part of me that almost i followed the story but i didn't necessarily there was a bit where even like quite a long way through the film i was like i don't really know what's actually happened to these kids oh, yeah same you know? there's not there wasn't like a clear i think if we watched it again there probably is quite a clear, yeah on first watch it had this really nice dreamlike quality where nothing was really that clear and things were just happening yeah weird shit was just happening and it would they didn't bother explaining it too much. And that Not really at all, in yeah. my opinion. I think as well, the other big sort of metaphor in this film is about the kids overpowering their parents. It's the whole Oedipal yeah. thing slash parents or older people being frightened of their young yeah. offspring, which I think was a really big thing at the time. I mean, in the early 70s, there was a lot of, you know, it wasn't too long past 
hippies. Yeah. Or it was right in the middle of hippies, really. And so that felt a lot like young people were doing their own thing. Yeah. And getting rid of all of all well, of the sort of uh, morals that yeah. had come before them. And prior to that, there was obviously kind of rock and roll. And yeah. that was getting rid of all of the, the previous morals. And obviously that went forward. I mean, it went... Yeah, you know, and the student protests about to all happen yeah, as well. And all so this kind all of like kids rising up. Yeah, so, which again, you know, so there was a real generational difference. Yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a time where there isn't a generational difference, but particularly from this point onwards. But I mean, I think that's another thing that we can bring into the modern day. Yeah. You know, the boomer millennial thing. Yeah. The whole, you know, people being frightened of what they've created. Or yeah. people, not even frightened isn't probably the right word, but it's like a different set of politics coming from the youth. Yeah. And then the, the majority of older people being frightened of that and the frightened of the way that's going to change the world. And not to bring Brexit up again, but it kind yeah. of, you know, it kind of, it kind of falls into that again. Well, that's one of the themes that ends up kind of being brought up over and over again with at least British folk horror is this kind of friction between the past and the present. Mm. And the fact that the, the past isn't very nice. And in this, in these folk horror films, they show it by being, you know, medieval for Witchfinder General or looking back at like the way things used to be. And it was kind of scary, but the future isn't too pleasant either. These mm. kids, everyone's scared of what they're going to do. Everyone's scared of the future and telling of the time. I mean, it was Cold War. Mm-hmm. So they've had, you've had the Second World War's ended. Everyone's been happy since then, hippie time. And then, like you say, now everyone's starting to get a bit scared of the future. The governments aren't too nice. Nuclear war's really a possibility. Yeah. And so, yeah, people are, people are scared of the past, scared of the future, and everything's a bit shit. Yeah. And thus, the folk horror probably did really well yeah. at this time. Yeah. And then we move on to the third film in the Unholy Trinity. Yes. Uh, which is probably the most... I think the, it has to be the most 100%. famous. 100%. It's the only one I'd heard of of these three. Yeah, and so that's The Wicker Man, not the not Nicolas, the Nicolas Cage, Cage remake, which I haven't actually seen. I've Venice, never seen. But I've only ever heard bad things about. But uh, no, I, I love Nicolas Cage, don't get me wrong, but he's no Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. <laughs> Edward Woodward. Um, Who plays the Christopher Lee character in the in the recent one? I've absolutely no idea at all. Jim Carrey probably would have <laughs> That's Joe Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So The Wicker Man, like I say, I think, I would guess most people have probably seen The Wicker Man, but The Wicker Man is different from the other two because um, it's, well, it was, uh, when it was made in the 70s, it was set in modern times. Yes. And so it's about somebody going to a little island off of Scotland, which... Summer Isle. Yeah, which isn't a real place. Well, I mean, they obviously used a real place. And them ha- like using the ways of the old yeah. on this island, so it's like a modern person walking into this folk horror place. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are people, you know, from olden times. And he is Christian. Yeah. And they all practice an old pagan style religion. Yeah. And it's kind of that. And fundamentally, it ends with more or less what we did on May Day. Um, the sacrificing of someone. Um, except with a well. No, it's not. I don't think it's a spoiler, is it? At this point, everyone's seen the. I Wicked think Man. everyone knows what happens in the Wicked. So just I to, knew. just to be clear, yeah. On May Day in Hastings, we didn't burn anyone alive. No, <laughs> no but, one was killed. <laughs> no, no. Jack was slain, but Jack was fine. He just had the leaves ripped off. Yeah, yeah. He was having a laugh. Yeah, he's it was more of a tickle fight. Yeah, um, <laughs> a tickle fight with a big drunk man. And he was willing, whereas in Wicker Man, <laughs> don't think that man. person was willing. Uh, I fucking love the Wicker Man. Oh, it is good, um, and I think watching it again now. It blew me away. Actually, I think yeah. it's, I think it's one of my favorite films. It's honestly, 
insane and it's scary for so many reasons there's loads of themes to unpick here with like the old and the new christianity and old religion and all of that but i think what's fucking scary about it and it's funny because you see the meme of it shared around on mayday quite a lot is it's like people celebrating mayday and it's the pictures of the crowd all celebrating gleefully the burning of a man yeah like literally we are murdering someone for the betterment of our island under the watchful eye of this man who's just come along and told us to do this. Who, again, is a rich man yeah. who is only there because his With dad power. was rich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's been given power by his dad who bought the island. Yeah. Um, all the people there are just subject to his will and they blissfully follow him and blissfully all take part in capturing and murdering a man so that they have a good harvest. But that who and that and it man, didn't work the year before. But, just to say, <laughs> but that man represents that, what that man represents is quite confusing as well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not totally sure what the filmmaker was aiming for as to what he represents. But a police officer mm. who's a Christian and holds really conservative views, yeah, isn't exactly the hero in this film. But he's sort of as you know, I, there yeah, isn't a goodie. There, there is there's, there's no there is no there's, it's all grey. There's no no one person is completely good or bad. It's two yeah. different things meeting each other yeah. and then seeing what happens. Yeah. And I think that's something that's quite interesting because he's not presented as a hero. I don't know how he's Nicolas Cage's buffoon, actually, character he? is presented. Maybe Nicolas Cage is a hero. I don't is. I'm think, not really sure. Do you think he's the Con Air version? <laughs> yeah. <of the hero? laughs> yeah. Probably like an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> but there is no there is no like good guy but if anyone's a good guy as it were yeah it probably is christopher lee like christopher lee is kind of just doing his thing and mm. not being left alone by the government but then you're right exactly what you just said he's also someone who's very powerful yeah. and making a community but then the community seems to be quite you know they're enjoying their life i would and... say that this is the difficulty of people who set out to have a nice worldly existence on their own and isolated and why shouldn't they be left alone to do that? Mm. However, a man has taken advantage of that situation. Is that knowingly to their followers? Who knows? And it's kind of tapping into the cult thing yeah. that is about to take over. But it's pre that. So I don't really know how this guy has really discovered all this. Because I don't really know what cults had really existed well, no, and fallen well, in 73. Well... Charles Manson has just happened. Ah, okay. So, so, of course, and I don't know exactly, I can't say this for sure, but I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some sort of correlation. Yeah. Obviously, it's a few years later, but, you know, the biggest news story of a few years has just happened, and it's Charles Manson starting a cult in the middle of the desert, doing their own thing, enjoying themselves, having sex freely, doing drugs, just enjoying themselves. But he is slightly leading them. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's, he's 100% leading totally them. Leading them. Yeah. Well, no, the, as it happens, the CIA would use a mind control. Bit, oh, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> but, and, you know, obviously someone ends up getting murdered at the end, i.e. Sharon Tate, who is a complete innocent, and yeah. more so Sharon Tate's baby, who is a yeah. complete innocent. So I think that you can definitely make parallel, lips. clear parallels yeah. between The Wicker Man and Charles Manson. I do not know whether, if that was the filmmaker's intention or not. But it is, it's preying on the fear of what people get up to when left on their own. Yeah. But yet those people left on their own having a nice time. I think Unless a, you get involved and then you're fucked. But I think there's basically. another there's another question about those morals and when you remove certain morals. So from my perspective as a godless person, yeah. if I had a kind of opinion on the community that was being, you know, that existed on yeah. Summer Isle, you know, I, I saw that as kind of this fairly idyllic thing in yeah. a lot of ways. I could see the problem. At least to start it. with. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it seems like there's a group of people that are doing what they want. But as a result of that, all of their morals have been reduced. 
So there's an awful lot of yeah. bits in there where, to a modern eye, for example, there's a bit really early on where they sing a song about the barmaid's daughter. Oh, gosh, and it's yeah. Really, and it's really sort of sexually explicit. It's yeah. basically every man in a pub singing a song to a young girl about how Walter they all want to have... Walter does it. about how they all want to have sex with her. And yeah. she's giggling along. Yeah. Now, in a modern eye, you look at that and you say, well, that's actually really problematic. Yeah. Right? But... One thing that I don't, I don't have an answer to this, but one thing that struck me was, is that problematic in the context of this is an island of people where sex is completely free, for example? Oh, yeah, because they're all, they're all doing it in the gardens later, aren't yeah. they? So yeah. There is not, so there, aren't the, there isn't the same moral code that we have. So therefore, the idea that all men want to have sex with all women, yeah. and vice versa in yeah. the context of this film, and, you know, women and women it's and men, like men done... and everything else, like, if that's just the norm... Yeah. Is there a problem with singing a song about how they all want to have sex with a bomb? Yeah, that's is true. that you know? Obviously, oh. there is. It's a, it's just a. It was yeah. a bit of a mindfuck for me. Well, there's was... another. There's another bit about um, when you're talking about like questioning morals. There's a bit where a child's gone missing and absolutely no one gives a shit. And then yeah. it kind of turns out maybe, although no spoilers, but it kind of turns out that maybe that child's been sacrificed, or at least Edward Woodward is led to believe they've been sacrificed and everyone's willingly leading him on to believe that. And he cannot fathom that these people don't care mm. and that they think it's okay. In fact, they all claim to have never even heard of her. Mm. And that all kind of transpires to be something else. But for most of the film, you're like, holy fuck, these people don't care that a 12-year-old girl has gone missing and is likely dead yeah. and likely they murdered her. Um, and that's meant to kind of give you the insight into, I don't know, is that is it meant to show you how much... Or morals could be transformed by someone else's ideal of what goes on well, or what's right and wrong in religion, but then equally what is right and wrong in religion is different for everyone. Well, exactly. Is that, is that also just the case of something being normalised to some yeah. extent? If human sacrifice for the sake of argument was a completely normal part of this community, yeah. obviously we would look at that as being that's terrible, that's yeah. someone getting killed. But if it's a norm, you know, if you went to a tribe somewhere yeah. and they, they were doing something that you didn't necessarily agree with, there's that problem with placing your morals yeah. on other people, you know. But that's that's one of the big things about folk horror, though, isn't it? It's it's, it's a huge theme. It's that kind of it's the unknown to you, mm. so you're scared of it, mm. um, and you don't understand it. Um, and specifically, that if you come from the city, if you yeah. come from civilization, yeah, and you lead this normal life, yeah, you know, in inverted commas, you lead a normal life in a normal place in a normal house with a normal job, yeah. And then you go and you see this other thing that other people are doing and they all look happy. And they're all, God forbid, probably having a better life than you yeah. are. They're actually enjoying themselves. Exactly. You know? Well, that's one of the, I mean, one of the other themes that kind of comes up a lot is that kind of anti-gentrification, past is unpleasant thing, which we've already mentioned. But also this class system, the middle class living in the cities mm. are a bit scared of what's going on in the, in the, in the countryside. Yeah. But also, yeah, God forbid, it might actually be better. And then what are they going to do? Shit, I've made my life. I've done really well. I'm in the city. I'm working really hard. And I've gone to the commu- like countryside and found out it's a bit weird, but maybe it's better. But maybe it's different. Maybe they're happier. Who knows? Yeah. But again, truth could be said for now. And we'll get on to the revival stuff in a little bit. And so those are three are really the main ones. So this idea of folk horror, which was basically these three films, yeah. was never actually named or anything. These films weren't necessarily considered they certainly weren't made by the same people or they weren't considered to be um this new genre but over the coming years after these films were made there was a number of other things that were made which sort of fitted into this pattern of folk horror and weirdly an awful lot of them were like bbc tv series yeah um 
there was like Doctor Who episodes that are considered folk horror. There's um, Quartermass, which is a really famous kind of ongoing, sort of started more or less as pure sci-fi in the, I think maybe even the fifties or something. And Hammer Horror made a bunch of films, and, oh, yeah. and so. But one of the Quartermass films is considered really folk horror. There was a load of these things called Play for Today, which they were just like one-off, hour-long. Uh, BBC things yeah. that I think were shown at lunchtime on weekdays or something. <laughs> and there's a really famous one called Pender's Fen and another one that's called Robin Redbreast. And both of them are like have really strong folk horror themes. Mm. There's a kid show called Children of the Stones, which I watched when I was really young, yeah, even though I think when I was really young, it was really old even then. I think okay. it was made in like the early 70s or something. But, you know, that had loads of folk horror elements in, in it. So there's there's kind of loads of places that you can... Go. There was a bunch of ghost stories for Christmas, which were yeah. all written by this guy called M.R. James, who's quite a famous writer. East um, England boy. There you go. <laughs> and he'd written loads of literature, and there was loads of people from literature that you could probably plonk into yeah. folk horror if you really wanted. I read um, a Shirley Jackson book quite recently, and that's considered folk horror, and is in a lot of ways. But, you know, she was writing in San Francisco in the... I, not even sure when maybe the yeah. 40s or something and so that definitely wasn't official or anything it's just yeah. that a lot of the themes kind of come up i would be remiss if i didn't bring up the one thing that i found which fitted into trash movies but also folk horror oh my God. i think it's very important that we found something to fit in with our theme and that was a film called lair of the white worm by ken russell which is batshit crazy it's fucking brilliant it's got hugh grant in it it's um, wonderful. Yeah. I would. It's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah, yeah it is. And I would really recommend if you like trashy movies. We don't really. We're not going to have time to talk about it very much. Yeah. But if you like trashy movies and weird movies, God. yeah, it's crazy. And it's I great. so enjoyed it. It's like brilliant. beyond the point. Like I hoped I enjoyed it because the woman on the front cover is quite iconic. And, yeah. But and and just looks like a beast. But my God, it's 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 complete trash. But it's. <laughs> Really quite fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the other themes uh, that come up a lot in folk horror and kind of lead us to some of the more recent ones or the American films. Um, psychogeography comes up a lot. The idea that a place can evoke a feeling or there's a... I, I mean, I can't really describe psychogeography well, all that well. Okay, so psychogeography is... Could we could talk about for hours? It's going to be difficult, and it's going to be very difficult. I read this book by this guy called Andy Sharp. It's called the English Heretic Collection, and he runs a website which is called English Heretic. And he talks an awful lot about psychogeography, and it's hard to get your head around, really. But in simple terms, it means that if an event happens in a place, yes, that that event has some sort of long-standing effect upon that place that you would upon the land. that's that psychologically or or yeah. some some way that we as humans will be able to feel. And probably the most obvious version of that is if you go to Auschwitz, yeah. it feels Fucking extremely hell. full of dread. Yeah. And I suppose that you could... You, there's a lot of arguments around this. You could probably just say, well, psychologically, of course, it would. You're aware of what happens yeah. there. You know, blah, 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 blah. You can't really get into it. There's no point in getting into it. It has no. ma- it has magical overtones. Yeah. It's not going to be for everybody. No. But I do think that psychogeography is a, quite an interesting idea. And I think it's something that we probably do feel on some level. Yeah. And it's, and it's picked up on and used in folk horror. It's definitely a yeah. thing. Like, for example, a lot of the places used on set are often places 
that have had certain events happen. East yeah. Anglia is full of, against where all the witch burnings happened, it's a lot of old occult, pagan, and lots of stuff happened there in the English Civil War era. And a lot of these films, uh, a lot of English horror films, were filmed in areas like that. Yeah. Um, it, lots, uh, Witchfinder General is filmed in the place where the, the witch burnings happened. Somewhere near Bury St Edmunds, if anyone's interested. Oh, and in Thetford. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's tons of areas around there that are just... They've got old abbeys and old churches, mm. and they were of the time when people had these worries, and therefore they've been used to be the sceneries of some of these places and really effective. And who knows why that is? Is it because there's a, a feeling about those places or is it because we know those things have happened, like you say? And probably on a th- just to go one step even further back, does that feeling come across if you're watching that place on a screen? Yeah. Because fundamentally we're talking about films here. So, yeah. And I, you know, I sort of think that maybe it does, actually. A little bit, And, yeah. and again, maybe, maybe this is too obvious, but it's like seeing certain American cities yeah. that you see in loads of movies. They yeah. they give you a certain even if you've not been there, they create a certain feeling in you. But a hundred percent. So I'd never been to Los Angeles, mm. and every fucking American film from the eighties is set in LA. Oh, and, um, and the nineties, yeah. yeah. And you get a feel for those films immediately. You kind of feel like you know they're going to they're be gritty. They're going to be they're going to be surfy if you see the beach. They're going to yeah. be um, teenager if you're in the valleys. And then when we went to LA, as soon as we were in like Sunset Boulevard, I was like, I feel like this feels like the movies, and I can't tell you why. Yeah. And you go to downtown LA, and you're like, this feels like the movies, but and I can't tell I you think why. What you're describing seeing a taxi cab in New York, you feel like you're in all those movies. Yeah. And, and but what you're describing is definitely psychological. But it's not necessarily psychological. Well, it could, I mean, it is to some. You know, this yeah. is what I mean. It's, you know, there's two sides. There's like you can look at it in this magical way. Yeah. Where I've stepped foot in somewhere where someone was murdered, and I can feel that someone was murdered in there. Oh right? yeah. I. But you can also say, well, I've stepped into somewhere where I know someone was murdered, and so therefore I'm thinking about people getting yeah. murdered, and so yeah. therefore that's how I feel it. So yeah. it's just it just depends on how you how you look at it. <laughs> and one of the other big themes that comes through, which we kind of mentioned, but we can sum up a bit better, is we make new rules and we do not go back. And going back is about superstitions and occult and witchcraft. And folk horror always picks on... It is, there's always this tension between the past and the present and the future. And one of the ways that the past is brought up and is a little bit of the scared of the kids and scared of the current is through using superstitions, is using occult and using witchcraft. And that stuff is a huge theme in the old folk horror, but it's probably the one that prevails into some of the more modern day ones. It leads us to cults, it leads us to witches, and it leads us to all this stuff that you see in in the, the horror of the time, but also you see it leak into the American films. Well, I think, just to say as well, in the context of the revival, which is happening at the moment, I think that that is a really important point about the revival, because the revival has come up since technology started becoming Mm. crazy, crazy things advancing. Crazy advances in technology have happened. And I think that that is very much something which is going on at the moment. Even though it's in this weird way, we all feel like we're moving into this sort of almost sci-fi future. Where, you know, AI is taking over people's microphones. Speaking of the horrors (laughs) we saw at war. But no, you know, we are in this really unusual time right now where I don't think anybody quite knows what the future looks like, but we all know it's not going to look very much like what we're doing right now. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, about this concept that more or less since the 60s, 
every giant leap has become mm. half the distance from the giant leap before it. Yeah. And so we're at a point now where almost every two weeks or something we're having a giant leap forward. Yeah. And we're not necessarily always seeing the results of that, but I think we're going to. I mean, I think there's, yeah. you know, with, with AIs and all those sorts of things. And so I think that's one of the reasons why folk horror has become so important, because that idea of not never moving back, Yeah. I think we might just be, a, I hope, and I think, <laughs> my theory is that we're about to hit a point where people actually want to move back. We've got to a point where technology yeah. has got to, is, is happening where it's making life worse yeah. rather than making it better. And I think that personally, just see it on my soapbox a little bit, yeah. I think, I hope we're about to have a sort of almost like neo-Luddite revolution whereby people will say, hold on a second, all of these amazing advances. Yes, I can talk to someone in Australia yeah. on my computer but i've just realized i've not i've not spoken to anyone down my road for the last two weeks because i've just been looking into my computer and so i think that there's i think there's elements of that which are almost like the opposite of the folk horror ones yeah where the folk horror ones were always saying we've got to move forward because the past is really scary i think we're entering into a place now where it's like we've got to stop moving forward because the past looks so much better but then folk horror is this weird, like, on both sides of things, because folk horror also embraced the idea of recognising that people were losing touch with their communities. Mm. So that's why they were focusing on the wider community. It was playing on that fear. And I don't think it was always saying that the communities that are isolated... I mean, one of the issues is that you could be isolated, but the other issue was you are losing touch with the land, you are losing touch with communities... Mm. And that's why they always played off, you know, the, the the bad guys were often the people that came from the big cities and came to the communities like in Wicker Man. Mm. It's, it, you, you're right. But I now the bad the... guys are coming to our towns and cities through our computers. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, Elon Musk taking over Twitter is a bad man coming into your house. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you, if you want to look at it in that way. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah. And I, I just, I, I'm surprised, I'm constantly surprised by the amount of people that I know who it's very unlikely, but they've all got allotments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I think that there's, there is a turn, there's a slight turning of the wheel where I think that lots of people are kind of starting to just be like, I need something real. Yeah. My work is no longer real. Yeah. I'm not even going into an office anymore. I'm just Sit moving from my bed to my yeah. desk. And I mean, we do this. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not, this isn't against, you know, I'm not having a go at anybody else. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not engaging with my friends. I'm just texting them. I'm not, I'm not actually engaged with anyone. I'm just posting things on social media yeah and that's not a brand new thing or anything and i probably just sound like an old man saying this but i do think that there is a point where like younger people aren't getting into facebook yeah facebook is going to be like myspace soon enough yeah they're getting into social medias that are more interactive yeah like their tiktoks and yeah their which i don't understand but I don't from understand, what i can but... make out they're a slightly more positive version yeah, yeah <laughs> slightly more oldie so. worldy version of oh, i don't know i don't know i don't really think we understand we're it. going back to the land back to the land <laughs> well before we get fully into the revival i just wanted to quickly bring up the other folk horror around the world namely america but there's a few other places and kind of how it's very similar to British folk horror, but they use different modes of telling that, you know, story of being scared of something. And in America, whereas we have pagan religions, they have 
crazy Christians and weird cults. And Mm -hmm. so often you see films that have really weird cults in them. Children of the Corn, Mm -hmm. that involves a cult. And that was made right when Waco, uh, was it Waco, Branch Davidian stuff was happening around there. It was when a lot of those cults were in the, yeah. Yeah, it was when all those kind of cults were coming to the fore. Um, You've got, yeah, you've got really crazy Christianity out in, in America. And that's something that transforms people and makes them into scary individuals you've also got um settlers guilt so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of native americans and you've got indian burial grounds that is a huge american horror story um theme and that is pure folklore totally and and, Um, i mean i think that's pure racism as well but um yeah the ancient indian burial ground is something that i'm sure just saying those three words together yeah you know, if you moved any of those around, it wouldn't be. But probably everybody yeah. listening to this will immediately know that from something. Yeah, exactly. Ancient Indian burial ground. It's used so many times. But it's actually, yeah, it's a completely it's made up yeah. uh, concept. And of course, it's used in these really slapdash ways. Yeah. So the one that jumped to my mind when I first heard it was Pet Cemetery. Yeah. yeah which is another Stephen King, like Children of the Corn. And, yeah. you know, Pet Cemetery is a silly story about someone's cat coming back to life. It's a bit of a freaky film, yeah. to be honest. Uh, the remake is the fucking dreadful. But the remake is, they really went for some folk horror elements yeah. in the remake. They Damn really it. botched it, but they really did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the actual film itself was just this trashy film about someone's cat coming back and it's <laughs> evil. But they still just chucked in the ancient yeah, Indian burial. Yeah, just throw that in you know, there. And it's very slapdash when yeah. they use this this concept, I think. But it is. It's this kind of um, the background of America feeling very guilty. Mm. But they don't own up to it. But, you know, they're the British people that came over after the English Civil War with their religious shit, with all of their ritualistic crap. But also, they took the homes from people, and so instead of acknowledging that, they just say, oh, they're the scary people that are going to come and get us one day, mm. because we know we did wrong. But that's not how it's depicted in films. The same with scary hillbillies from the South. Yeah. Hillbillies are always scary, and that's mm-hmm. just because the South, the, the war that well, happened... Well, it's and country folk as well, Yeah, it's it? country yeah. folk in the South um, who had all of what they had taken away from them. Um, and so, yeah, you see an awful lot of that. Again... Well, the who, ability to be massive racists... But it is. America's folk horror is fucking great. Yeah, no, that's the thing. America is such a... Because it's such a fucked up country, as a result, when they go back in time and look at those things, obviously they're all fucked up as well. You're right, like... So hillbillies are presented in this certain way. Yeah. In all movies, not only horror movies. Yeah. But it's like they're presented in that way for two reasons. And some... You know, it's a... It's partly because people are scared of them. Yeah. But it's also partly because, like you say, they had loads taken away from them. But then what they actually had taken away from them is... Ugly. It's horrible. Yeah, it what is they, horrible. you know, they needed to have that taken away from. Them. So it's, it's yeah. still new as well. Of course. Yeah. I mean, apart from the Native American stuff, all of those things are new. Yeah. In comparison, you know, the English stuff is talking about before Christianity, probably. Yeah, most no, that's of it, true. You know, the, most of the pagan stuff. Whereas this is all like modern. Modern this is history, relatively which is fucking speaking. scary. Yeah. Uh, the last thing for America, um, the use of hoodoo and voodoo. Yeah. And again, that's guilt from the slave tradition mm-hmm. and everything that was brought over from the African continent. And again, that's always brought up as a bad thing. But really, who was the bad guys in the first place? Again, America. You know who doesn't bring it up as a bad thing? The insane clown posse. Oh, hoodoo, voodoo. Voodoo, <laughs> something for your magic. And just briefly, loads of other cultures have similar similar themes and similar folklore. You've got mm-hmm. Australia with their own settler's guilt. In yeah, Asian... Australia has a very similar fucked up history oh, as gosh. America in that context, obviously. Of course. Um, you've got 
Asian cultures, women are often brought up, women who have died in childbirth. And again, the culture around how many children people are having in these cultures. Mothers dying in childbirth are often the ghosts that come back to wreak their revenge. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's just the local, the themes are the local folklore and the things that that country is scared of tends to crop up in their films. And that, in a way, could be termed as a form of folk horror. Although, again, we're focusing mainly yeah. on the on the very british idea of i think it was quite interesting because in the film woodlands dark and days bewitched um they spend an awful lot of that film yeah talking about your folk horror from around the world and that's really interesting it was yeah. really good but it was also a bit odd because up to that point folk horror i think is considered to be an extremely english extremely yeah. like set in a certain place yeah presented in a certain way quite gray quite Countryfied English. Yeah, the atmosphere is very grotty and, and wet sort of and dull as well. And, a little yeah, bit, muddy yeah. and. And I think in a, in a way, what they did was really clever. Yeah. Because what they said was, "There's this thing that you understand as folk horror. Here's yeah. an hour and a half about that. But now here's an hour and a half of. Yeah. Did you have you ever thought about the fact that there's yeah. folk horror all around the world? And all of those themes translate. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was really interesting. And I think it does link us to the revival because mm-hmm. I think, as you've brought up a lot of times, a lot of the historical things that were happening in these days, similar things could be said to be happening now where everyone's scared again. And in the documentary, they said the 90s were happy, as were the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, everyone started getting a bit scared of Cold War and the government started being a bit shit. And we had 9-11. Yeah. And it could be argued that since 9-11, it's just been a bit of a culture of fear. Yeah. Uh, and then technology is advancing. We're having authoritarian rule in so much of our world again. And so people are scared once again. And thus, maybe a little bit of all of that is linking to folk horror revival. But the folk horror revival is happening across the world. Mm-hmm. And some of these, a lot of these films are American, actually. Well, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. I think that there's an element to that, which is folk horror has come back for all of those reasons. Yeah. But I think that we live in a world now where you can cosplay being anything you want. If you're in Hollywood yeah. and you want to make a folk horror film, you you don't yeah. have to be like, you don't have to know anything about English culture. You can yeah. just go on the internet, find out about it, Figure watch it some out. films, make a film really easily, digitally, yeah. that uh, that looks like a thing. So I think that in a lot of ways, whilst there's been some great films, we watched a, a couple of really good films, it's not necessarily as important that they come out of... Like, I know yeah. that the director of Witchfinder General was, like, a, I think, a communist working-class guy that was making a point. Yeah. You know, whoever really was. was behind the Wicker Man was making a point about yeah. their own lives. Oh, I'm not necessarily yeah. sure that in the modern world that we live in, many people are making points about their own lives in a direct way. They are making points about their lives. Yeah, but they But they can, they can take on the... It's an international world yeah. now. They can take on whatever they want. They can chuck an ancient Indian burial ground anywhere yeah. they like. I don't know, they always did that. Well, I think there's, I think of two films, yeah. and one of which totally runs along with that, and the other one, I think, has more of a point to say. Mm-hmm. So the film that's more like what you just said is The Witch from 2015, and that is like mock folk horror, but trying to like tick all the boxes. Like, I will mm. include everything that people were scared of at the age of the pilgrims. Yeah, here's a go. And here's a witch. Here's a goat, here's a hare, here's a witch, <laughs> yeah. here's some bloodletting, here's... But it's clever, mm. and he... They all speak in this, like, horrible um, English way of the time that it, they probably did speak like that. And at the end, it says, like, actually, a lot of these words were taken from um, yeah. writings that were made at the time. So we really have tried to make it historically accurate. And so it's considered very well in the in the film 
I thought, I mean, I thought it was excellent, the by the way. When I say that, I feel like the director of that film or the writer of that film was cosplaying folk horror. Yeah. But I don't nearly say that in a bad way. Yeah. I thought it was a brilliant film. Oh, I thought, it was clever. I thought they, I thought they made an excellent film. My point was more just that's obviously not from that person's. Yeah. He, it might have been from his, his family's past or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You know, but he wasn't making a film that was based on any sort of reality that he had, which and, is fine. Yeah. Films don't have to be like that. And, uh, and aside from folk horror resurgence being a relevant thing to have, I don't think it was making any modern points. I think it was just trying to accurately depict folk horror as a... as It was like a tribute to folk horror of the past, yeah, I would fair. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I th- yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought that it had a really interesting atmosphere. Yeah. I thought it was like harsh oh gosh it in was that harsh. context and it was almost harsher than those films from the 60s and 70s but yeah. probably just because it was made modern you know in a modern way yeah but um it was, it was really you could really see that just this family falling apart yeah. and I, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler the idea is that there is a family who are living out in the middle of nowhere they've been banished from the city and they slowly become convinced that one of their daughters is a witch or, or that one initially one of them is a witch and then they decide one of their daughters is a witch yeah and more or less as a result of that pretty much everyone's just dead yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah. pretty much um, but i'd really recommend it if you haven't seen oh, it. oh it's so good it's yeah. on netflix definitely go watch it um but the other film that falls into folk horror it was definitely when they were talking about the revival i was like i wonder if this film counts and then they were like a hundred percent this film the is order. the epitome <laughs> of modern folk horror for all of the like, obvious reasons and that's midsummer yeah that i think came out in 2019 sort of time um it was made by ari Aster, who did hereditary a couple of years before Hereditary didn't rate as much, but that is also considered folk horror for the kind of um, time and place sort of thing. Okay. But um, but Midsummer is a hundred percent about everything that folk horror has always been about: about cults, about rituals, about a pagan like old religion mm. and an old things still happening in a modern world. But it has so many modern points that it is pretty much so fucking clever well, it about how it's old and modern. It almost sums up all of the things, all of the points that we've talked about yeah. on the podcast pretty much. You could have just talked about Midsummer, yeah. more or less, I think. Yeah. One of the, And it, it does the same thing again. That cult is like, there's a real question as yeah. to whether that cult is bad yeah. or not. You know, there's bits in it where people die, but there's a there's a bit of a question as to whether that's necessarily that bad. Because, for example, there's a, a very become, elderly couple yeah. that basically kill themselves because the cult has... A, well, they have an age limit. An age limit. Yeah. And it's like, of course, when you see it, because it's really bloody, oh when you see God. it, you're like, fucking hell, this cult's evil. Oh but then when God. you actually start thinking about the yeah. world that we live in and the problems with overpopulation and this sort of stuff, yeah. and I'm not saying yeah, anything not... <laughs> I'm not saying anything I'm just saying it's a really interesting concept point. where it's like you is this cult has this cult kind yeah. of got the right idea in a way yeah not just about that I don't yeah. want to kill old people I'm not saying that oh god but then it brings up so many modern points the idea that we're losing touch with our community and the idea that we're losing touch with each other that one of the main themes is that it's about a grieving girl mm. and she doesn't have the space to grieve and that is so telling of our modern world where we don't have the space or we don't allow ourselves the space or technology doesn't allow us the space to actually connect with people in a meaningful way and deal with all. our own emotions yeah, and deal, deal with, with ourselves. other people's emotions and deal with the things that are going on inside us because yeah. you never have to cope with grief or you never have to cope even with the most basic forms of emotions if 
you can just turn your phone on yeah. and flick mindlessly and it turns your brain off. But hilariously, you think you've done it because you might put a post on Facebook going, I feel really down this week. Yeah, of course. But you haven't dealt with but anything. Then, but then you and, get and, all and of those... And technology's not helped you. Well, no, technology's done... It's not just not helped you. It's done the opposite of helping you. Yeah. What then happens is you get loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of people responding yeah. to you, but in completely superficial ways yeah. that do not help you in any way. And little heart emojis. Exactly. Yeah. So and you, you haven't dealt with anything. Yeah. So, you, But the thing is, it's not just about big things like grief. It's also yeah. about how we live our lives. Yeah. It's about very minor things, about very minor successes or very minor bad things yeah. that happen to us. You can't deal with those things in a superficial way and expect to have them dealt with. Yeah. And I think that's what that film is all about. You, you know, yeah, space. It's about space. It is about exactly space. It's about. it's about, and it, these crazy fucking things that happen in this film that, in a way, are helping people deal with their emotions better than the modern world. Better than us, yeah. Which is mad. Yeah, yeah. Because you look at it, you go, this is fucking crazy. But towards the end, you question who's who's done all right out of this film and for why. And it's hard to it's hard to side with the people you want to side with because it feels wrong but there's there there must be the breaks well i tell you what helps me deal with my emotions yeah in a non superficial way yeah music <laughs> do you well want to hear done. a song yeah in fact i tell it. you what this band that anyone's going to help you with your emotions i think it's this band they're called mundo primitivo mm-hmm. they're from australia it's from their album oh god help me presage interior that's which came right. out last year. Uh, the it came out on cassette, but it's now sold out. But you can get it via the Static Shock Records Bandcamp. It's fucking amazing that album, and this song is called Rito di Miete. <laughs> Young to Die from 1986. Stargrove. The new American hero. Go! Where have you been shooting lately? Libya? Finest disc. He inherited all of his father's enemies. <laughs> and just one of his 
best friends, John Stamos is Stargrove. Have a new job. Well, I think I'm falling in love. Vanity is Donja. Any idea who could be behind this? Ragnar. Gene Simmons is Ragnar. Yeah! Trade a wet kiss for this? The Sting of Death. We're hot. Where the red starts turning into the blue main. Stargrove! The only one standing between life and death in a brave new world. Stargrove, never too young to die. A top secret agent is murdered, so his estranged son, a high school gymnast, teams up with his dad's attractive female partner to stop the psychopathic, hermaphroditic gang leader who killed him and now plans a major terrorist attack. Fucking hell, there's lots of things in there. Uh, we should probably say that this is the second week in a row that we're doing a Gene Simmons film. Gene Simmons is, Gene Simmons mm, is uh, in this. I'm he's just he's in he's this in, in a this, big way. And we'll, we'll kind of get to that. Oh, well. Um, Never Too Young to Die, I first discovered from a book that I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, which is called Destroy All Movies, which is fundamentally just a list of all the films that have punks in it. Yep. With a review of all of those films. Yeah. It's a wonderful book. I feel like I've said this on this podcast before. It's so wonderful. And it loves this film so much that I had to watch it yeah. immediately. I did watch it immediately. And it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen it in my life. It is insane. Uh, what, you haven't seen it before, have I've you? never seen it before. I did know of it purely because you've read me the review of this <laughs> film. And I was like, we have to watch this. Um, I, just, I agree with you. Just to give you a vague idea... Of uh, the very first line in this entire film is Gene Simmons dressed as a lady, and he starts with the line, "My little turd balls." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Gene Simmons! Gene Simmons in this film is absolutely amazing, and this is at the height of Kiss. Well, maybe not the height, but what I consider the height of Kiss, because 1986 is when um, Crazy Crazy, crazy Nights nice comes out. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's just like Kiss are busy. And they don't really need to be fucking about with films. Well, but... so famous, well, famously, in, in Paul Stanley's autobiography. Very famously, so Not then. that famously. <laughs> uh, he complains that Gene wasn't very, around very much. He was busy on his um, films. But I will say, Pounded. and as a result of that, throughout the 80s, uh, the only good songs Kiss released, really, uh, between, I would say from Lick It Up all the way through to probably Revenge, yeah. the only good songs that they released were Paul Stanley written. Oh, yeah, apart which are nearly from, all of them. Apart from the songs on Crazy Nights. So Gene, Gene Simmons has wrote, wrote some bangers for Crazy Gene Nights. Simmons, 1986, a good year, a good year for you. Well, he was chunky in that film that we watched last week. That was, he, that was 89, wasn't it? So he must have eaten a lot between... He, well, he did too well out of these films, I imagine. Um, <laughs> I don't think he did. No, he didn't. But he should have, because he is fucking incredible in this film. <laughs> incredible, maybe not the word, but very to my taste. Like you say, his dialogue in this film is insane. Uh, just to sum up his character, he plays a, this hermaphroditic... Well, he, he says, I'm a hermaphrodite. Half lady, half man. He says that a lot. He does. And it's lot. very much And a, a lot of people thing. make a lot of comments, including him, which... I think to the modern era, quite transphobic. Yeah, it's not good. Um, Touch yeah. it and see and feel let's, me if you yeah, don't believe. Let's just, let's just acknowledge that. Awful, horrible <laughs> thing. So it's definitely not right. It's definitely not okay. But for the most part, he dresses as a drag queen through most of this. Yeah. Like, because he, he does a... He's called Ragnar and is known as a he at that point, um, but dresses femininely. Then is also a drag queen called Velvet. Yes. But also, 
is a man undercover for like not the FBI but whoever his with dad the dad used to work for called Carruthers with like very manly and got a beard on so he gets to play three characters in well it's this one film. character playing three characters but, yeah uh, he just yeah. gets to be in it an awful lot I mean it's difficult to say I mean, the time frame of this film is not clear nothing about this film is clear no. but it, I will say it would it definitely would be impossible for him to do all three of those things at the same time oh gosh yeah <laughs> I mean he's you know yeah he, he really he really does swap from being the man version of himself to the lady version of himself I'm pr- and then back again yeah at the, what must be the same time but every time <laughs> he's Ragnar oh <laughs> my god this film is fucking brilliant. He's leading this, like, gang of biker punks who are dressed in medieval gear. I don't know why. They've they got, they've got like... they have got don't they? That's it. They're definitely going for that. But Gene Simmons' character, Ragnar, is just fucking outstanding. And the, <laughs> the dialogue is just something to behold. Yeah. Hear some of this... Uh, <sighs> I mean, keeping All in day. mind someone wrote this as a script. Yeah. Gene Simmons... I'm not going to do this justice. Gene Simmons can... pre- presents this with much more gusto than I possibly but the could. the way he, he does... He does really throw himself into this character, which I... is... I cannot tell you how outrageous this character is. I mean, is. I would definitely say, listen to this in the voice of Divine, because he's definitely <laughs> taking the energy of Divine from Pink Flamingos when she's given the press conference. Like, this is her delivery of it, 100%. I'm not going to do it. In the no, 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 don't Divine, you dare, no. but try and hear it as Divine. So this is completely no explanation... Given for this speech, he's standing in front of a load of punks and a load of sort of hair metal dudes and some like apocalyptic people. He says, Bettersy, Bettersy, you slugs. Shit on modesty. Gorge it back. A toast to none other than moi. Savour your master and mistress of this shit heap, you worms. I'm gold. Gold. All the gut joy. Orgasm, you turdy revellers. Piss on the world. Swill up. And now, boys and girls, some entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's just manic perfection, Uh, which is what Gene Simmons plays the entire film. And it's so, so wonderful. I can't ever get over... Gene Simmons in this film. But to stop going on about Gene Simmons, of course, other things do happen in this. John Stamos is in this, and he plays this kind of weird, rubbish gymnast kid who I don't really know how to explain him best. Well, he's called Stargrove. Oh, let's yeah. just let's just be clear Stop about up. this. Yeah, there is a there is a theme tune at the beginning where he's on the trampoline at yeah. his school doing jumps. Doing jumps. And there's a song called Stargrove, Stargrove. And I think <laughs> that... You, I don't think that's how it goes. I think it's something it's like that. It's more or less that. I do think it's important to say about this film that when they made it, they definitely thought they were launching like a new James Bond. Yeah. To the point that George Lazenby plays his dad. And George Lazenby was the original James Bond. Oh, really? The first ever James oh, Bond film. He'd obviously... He was old and he'd, he was down on his luck yeah. when he did this. But they definitely present this as being like, there's this new character in town. He's Stargrove. And this is his first film, Never Too Young to Die. Yeah. You know, and with that in mind, it makes the film that much more crazy. Because yeah. it's just like, what the fuck? Well, that would then, knowing that might explain the weird sex scene <laughs> with, um, so it's, who is it? Is it Vanity? Vanity. So Vanity is Prince's... Sort of protégé. one of Prince's Prince's protege. She yeah. was in Purple Rain again, so, probably down on her luck. Quincy, yeah. I can only presume. And she's presented as so she's the um, John Stamos's or Stargrove's 
dad's assistant from the past or partner. There's a so suggestion she does, that she there's a they suggestion have, that they might have fucked and so there is definitely a possibility that she fucked his dad and then fucked him. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. That's definitely the suggestion. But she's a strong she does all the kicking and John Stamos's character does none of the kicking, he's rubbish. And then at some point she then decides she's gonna get sexy with a hose. And then this scene goes on for so long. And he just comes out with various fruit and various drinks. <laughs> I wrote down a list of everything that happens. I don't know if this, will quite, this won't quite come across to the listener. Really? So keep it in mind, so this goes on for a long time. There's some sexy a sax really playing, long time. And one by one, it goes from her to him yeah. as to what they're doing. So, starts with a water bottle. Yes. He's being sexy with a water bottle. Well, he's not being sexy with the water bottle. He's being nervous with the water bottle. Nervous with water bottle. Mini strip. Nervous with Apple. She hoses herself down. He drops Apple. <laughs> they try and kiss, but he misses her lips. Then they're having sex on the bed. Saxophone! Yay! <laughs> I think he gets a second fruit out, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think he right. goes back for a peach. I was so excited. I think I was. I yeah. missed that when I was making It goes on for just so long, and it is fucking hilarious because both of them make direct eye contact down the camera well she does but he's always like looking away and freaking out and dropping his fruit (laughs) and then weirdly after they fuck and the music's still playing they seem to be comparing hand sizes for ages there's a weird bit and then it stops and he goes should we do that again yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then it just goes off it's so fucking brilliant like it just it just makes me die it's so funny and then generally just the chaotic fucking editing of this film they'll just go should we go there and then the car's like tearing off there's no explanation for most of the like cutting from one scene to the next which makes it like so fun to watch because it's literally like i don't know what they cut out but it is literally shall we go over there yes let's go and then they're there and then, should we do this? Yes. And then they're there. Yeah. Like, there's no fucking about with the in-betweens or the making sense of it. It's kind of like yeah, a children's really cartoon. Yes. But it's got boobs in it and, like, punks and explosion and, and Gene, Gene Simmons, Simmons as a hermaphrodite. Yeah. And so it's definitely not made for children oh, in any way. Not. And as a result, I think it's, like, the perfect film for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that for an... I don't know what other p- audience it was aimed at. I don't know. Like, it's definitely aimed at adults, but like I say, it's just like a cartoon. It's like a kid's film. Yeah. It's very strangely... I don't know what they were aiming at. I think the bar where Gene Simmons does all of his... um, like nightclub acts and where his gang hangs out is yeah. just the fucking coolest place in the entire world. There's bikers on motorbikes just driving around inside. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like just crazy. Everyone looks crazy. There's a disused railway line going along the outside oh, of yeah. it. And like the outside looks really cool. They've got one of those weird metal lifts that's like that a factory lift. factory lift and there's just neon lights everywhere and stuff. I think it must have been a real place, but... It is fucking amazing. People need to make clubs like that again. I, I was thinking exactly it's the same so, thing. It's so wonderful. Even just that metal lift to get up and into it is so fucking cool. And yeah, it is, you're right, it's a bit like the club in Barbed Wire. Barbed yeah, Wire, totally. not Barbed Wire. Yeah, yeah. Just fucking, people need to do that more. Yeah. Why does that not exist anymore? <laughs> so good. Uh, the script is just completely insane. <laughs> it's kind of just a collection of random words that someone would have thought were from an action film yeah all just sort of mixed together but it doesn't seem to matter no like it doesn't necessarily i don't think it really affects the storyline you it's so simplistic in a lot of ways that you know what's going on yeah but and so whatever they say almost doesn't really matter they use they use like slang terms that just don't make sense they say (laughs) like he tells his goons to garbage him 
when he wants, <laughs> when he wants him to be killed and stuff. He says, thimble, thimble, who's got the thimble when he's just looking for someone? Like a standard thing that someone would say. Showtime citizens, follow the leader, someone says at one point. Like, it's just very bizarre. There's a lovely bit where, um, so uh, Stargrove's dad is like sort of, you know, he never sees him, doesn't come to parents' day. Oh, yeah. And so he's complaining to that about his obviously like oriental friend who makes inventions. So, I mean, yeah, they just tick every fucking box here. But he says at one point, so the guy says, is your dad coming to parents' day? And he points at a picture of old man George Lazenby and he says... Is this the face that you see at a stupid parents' day? And it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just an old man. Like 100%. <laughs> like, just nothing. But yeah, I just fucking love this film. But I, I, think I'd, I think I'd like to read from yeah. Destroy All Movies if I could, because I think they do a much better job of describing this than I ever could. <laughs> they describe it as a crippled epic. Is a flooring example of defiantly defective action filmmaking. Not only does it require nothing from its audience, actors or crew, but it practically begs you to punch a hole in your skull, remove your brain and set it on fire in a pure celebration of beautiful, unbridled 12-year-old adrenaline. Every creative standard is compromised in the name of undiluted entertainment. And it says, never too young to die, I want you inside me. <laughs> fucking amazing I mean and that yeah. is completely true when they're yeah. talking about the script they say my fingers would start to bleed before I could type out a fraction of the infinite joys of the script but it's not just the dialogue every character every bizarre senseless motivation every cockeyed development seems transmitted from the centre of the sun <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> it's so true and yes, yeah Gene Simmons is just fucking unbelievable in this they finish their review by saying I hereby demand that a 200 foot tall Oscar be given to Simmons for his performance as the unhinged Ragnar his earnest achievement ranks as one of the all time best work from any actor sure that's a bold statement but until I see Laurence Olivier in a corset and feathered headpiece condemn the world to annihilation I'm still into it <laughs> oh my god that's such a beautiful summation <laughs> it's basically the perfect film in a lot of ways yeah. and the most imperfect film in a lot of ways yeah. that's my full review of it I think to be honest with I you. think I think you've nailed it I think you've really nailed it it's like horribly enjoyable but so problematic and really technically really badly made <laughs> but it's so enjoyable we haven't mentioned that Freddy Krueger is in this. Oh, yeah. Again. I think he must <laughs> have been, must have been down on his luck a little bit. But he's got a very small part. Well, he turns up right towards the end and then apparently is absolutely integral to the story. Well, the, but yeah, that they could have only had him for a that day. That happens with everybody. Yeah. The, the best friend is yeah. the inventor. Um, he's just his schoolmate. He just happens to be next to him in his dorm. Yeah. And at the very start of the film, he makes like a fucking flamethrower for yeah. no reason. Just <laughs> That's for not fun. very good either. It's not very good because it turns out to be like a comedy flamethrower later in the film. So then Stargrove goes and gets mixed up in all of his dad's business and suddenly his little friend just appears. He's yeah. just a schoolboy. He's just yeah. a nerd with his bazooka or whatever. Yeah. And just gets involved. And then before you know it, the... And it's never clear whether the agency that his dad works for is like the CIA or the FBI yeah. or if it's even anything. Yeah. It's just unclear. It's just some people in suits. Yeah. But suddenly this little schoolboy that's just that guy's son's mate yeah. is now like giving orders. Yeah. And like he's in charge of all these government computers and stuff. <laughs> and the greatest thing about this film, possibly, no, there's way greater things about this film than this, but something really funny about this film is that the entire thing 
is about how Gene Simmons wants to get his hands on a floppy disk, which yeah. he calls the Ram K, right? Ram-K. They don't explain, they do sort of explain, but it's not ever, he just keeps going on about his Ram K, yeah. right? He wants his Ram K, he needs his Ram K. Yeah, when he eventually it. gets hold of his Ram K, in the, in the most absurd way possible, but I won't even go into it, yeah. it's just a fucking floppy disk yeah. with like what, 20 kilobytes on it or something. I don't know what's supposed to be but on it. We don't there. even really understand what's on it. Well, his idea is that he's going to take over a dam oh yeah and, and put poison in the water stream yeah but somehow particularly at the beginning he thinks this is going to make him loads of money <laughs> i don't know exactly i think i presume he's going to ransom someone i don't really know but by the end he's just desperately trying to poison yeah. everyone it's like you're not going to make any money <laughs> yeah. just by poisoning they see people. a goldfish and this is what a goldfish looks like when it's been in the water and it's just like a moldy turd yeah. and he's like yes and you're like i don't understand where the money comes in but oh. good on you gene simmons you fucking lunatic i this is an ultimate film yeah I just wish anybody, I wish there was anybody alive right now who could make something this fucked up (laughs) and like useless. Like it would be impossible to make a film like this now because people are too good at things, I think. To be honest. I don't know, I feel like the South like, Park boys maybe. They're the no to way, it, no? because it would be an ironic version of this. Oh, like, this true, has no, zero no. irony, zero subtlety. Yeah. They think that they're making a brilliant action movie yeah. and it's flawed on every single level, bar none. But yet it's still so entertaining. You could not make this in 2022 without it being really postmodern. That's yeah. the problem. That's, the way, yeah. that's what we've lost a little bit. The, that's your folk that kind of links to the folk horror of the <laughs> you know, longing for the past to it's probably to be honest I, it wasn't really Gene Simmons it was just Jim Carrey on a mask <laughs> oh just perfection well with perfection in mind what score are you going to give oh, it I'm good. I think 9 out of 10 I really Ooh, enjoyed it high yeah. Christ um, I, well oh no minus some for principles and morals so we'll go 8.5 I'm not minusing <laughs> a lot for morals <laughs> April, it's so good. It's I can't so believe good. I think I'm going to give this a lower score than you, but I can't tell you. I mean, I do love it. I, th- I think I'll give it an eight. All right, fair. I think it's a solid eight. It's a solid eight. Now we're going to move on to an old song. Yeah. Got a little story about this old song. Oh, here we go. This is by a band called Carnated, who are from Sweden. They released one CD from what I can make out, like one album. It was in 2000. And I happened to stumble across a compilation that I had from 2000, 2001 on a really old UK record label called Positive Outlook. Mm. And uh, it's called Hymns and Psalms. It's beautiful. It's in like this big red sort of box thing. And it comes with a fanzine that's got some writing and some poetry and some information about the bands and all this stuff. Mm. And then it's just a compilation made up of bands that were on that label and some bands that were on other sort of small labels from around the world. It's got loads of people from loads of different countries on it, including some really cool South American bands, which I actually knew about at the time. But I did not know this band, Carnated, who are from Sweden. Mm. And the song fucking blew me away. It was like by far the best thing on there. And I was was just crazy about it. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to find this CD that came out on a little DIY label. Anyway, long story short, I found it on Discogs for like 47p. Bought it. (laughs) It's fucking banging. It's so good. It's so good. So I don't know if anyone else... There's no way... None of this stuff is on the internet. Like, I was looking at this Positive Outlook stuff, and it was a good record label, but it was just a little DIY record label from the UK. It did release... Sometimes it released stuff from, like, bands from other countries, but mostly it was sort of more, like, emo-y stuff and a bit of hardcore. And um, 
literally you can only get this stuff on CD. Can you imagine a world where there's music that is available? That, it's probably on YouTube or something. I was about to say, I think but you love a CD. <laughs> I haven't checked. Anyway, <laughs> it's a brilliant album and it's a fucking brilliant band. I don't know anything about them whatsoever. But this yeah. song is called No Fight Till Friday and this is Carnated. for sticking with us and listening to all our rambles about folk horror and generally our dismay at the people of the world <laughs> with their burrito well, apart, binders or whatever. never too young to die, which apart, was just pure joy. Pure joy, pure joy. We want, saved the happiness till the end. Honestly, everyone, please go watch that film. I cannot uh, recommend it enough. Um, as always, you can let us know what you think. You can email us at shamsityroasters at gmail.com or you can message us on Instagram at breakfast punks podcast we welcome all your messages and all your feedback as always there will be a youtube playlist up on our youtube channel uh, which is a breakfast punks podcast as well uh, this one will be full of all those joys that we've just been talking yeah, about i think a lot um, of it will be available but also a fair amount of folk horror there's some really cool stuff actually on youtube about folk horror and uh never too young to die is on there in its entirety yes uh, it's a good quality it used to be a really crappy quality version now it's a really good quality version but it does have russian subtitles yeah it's, that's fine you can ignore that because it really makes no fucking difference no. and just just turn your brain off or whatever that man said make a hole in your head tear your brain yeah. out and then sit down and watch it and you will enjoy <laughs> it um if you want to support us we would very much appreciate it you can sign up to our patreon which is at breakfast punks podcast as well it is indeed and if you give us more than three pounds a month then you get a free extra episode 
which we're doing every month. Yeah. Um, and there is now five of those. Yeah. So if you were to happen to sign up now, for example, okay. you've immediately got five hours, and more than five hours, because yeah. we often don't stick to an hour because we're not very good at that. Yeah. Of, um, of breakfast Can you pumps. tell? <laughs> <laughs> we also, uh, just linking it even further, the last one we did is about horror films. It is. It turns out to be about horror films. We never know what it's going to actually turn out to be. <laughs> um, but it turned out to be about horror films. So it all kind of links. It all kind of links. You could say we planned it. We did not. So if you tuned into this podcast thinking to yourself, oh, I like punk music, I'll listen to these breakfast punks, and then you sat through two and a half hours of us talking about folk horror, and you want to hear us talk more about horror, <laughs> which is not the thing that you came here for, <laughs> then, um, you know, you'll be very welcome to give us some money. Yay! But we will leave you with a song so you do get your, like, DIY punk fulfilment. This is Omega Tribe with Better Man. It's from the album New Peace Movement, which is out via Grow Your Own Records now. And we love Grow Your Own. We love Gary and Steph on this podcast. We do. So that's it for this week, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Bye. To make this hate go away How can I stop seething with rage How can we reconcile this acceptance of injustice What does it say about who we are And me would find forgiveness in his heart And A better man than me would find a way to carry on A better man than me would find a way to take the pain And A better man than me would turn it into something good Must be a better man than me a better man than me How can I stop this anger from hurting me? It's eating me up from the inside Why do we take what we know to be a lie? Why do we choose the line of least resistance? A better man than me would find forgiveness in his heart And A better man than me would find a way to carry on A better man than me would challenge all the lies and A better man than me would stand for truth before the crowd Must be a better man than me A better man than me Must be a better man Must be a better man Must be a better man than me Must be a better man than me a better man than me
Must be a better man Must be a better man Must be a better man than me A better man than me would find forgiveness in his heart And A better man than me would find a way to carry on A better man than me would find a way to take the pain And A better man than me would turn it into something Good